0: I disagree, Gary. I disagree,
1: Gary. Welcome back to Pulp Friction. It's a show about what divides us. My name is Rocky. Sam's name is Sam. And we are once again talking about succession. Thank you for having me back. Um, I think it's going to be great. It'd be real good you know it's funny when we uh the last time we talked about Succession it was in a way like an abandonment of the concept of this podcast because you know generally you know it's a show about what divides us and Succession was and remains the most popular show on television mm-hmm. but I at the end of the day unbeknownst to us this did become a pretty polarizing season yeah, I think um you know I was like looking back at the notes I wrote for the
2: first episode and I think the fact that I don't think any of the stuff we talked about in the first episode
1: was even remotely
2: true. Um
1: yeah, most of most of the things we were talking about weren't even explored, really. No, <laughs> nope. Where we last left off, it was episode one of <laughs> season three. Uh-huh.
2: <laughs> episode one.
1: We were riding high. It was everything was coming up, Kendall, and we Wait, were
2: <laughs> We were so high on the Kendall
1: tweet. <laughs> oh, we were so wrong. Yeah. So, just um, we could talk a little bit about what has transpired uh, in in the episodes leading up to this one that we're talking about. Um, not as much as we had kind of thought would happen out of the gate. I look back at this season and it feels like there's three or four plot lines, but it's pretty much the same stuff for the whole season. You know, like there's there's the Ken sort of downfall. There's uh, Tom going to prison. There's uh, Greg and Comfrey. There's... (laughs) The gojo
0: <laughs>
1: everyone loves them they're, they're the new hollywood power couple uh there's the gojo merger the the election thing for like one mm-hmm. episode and um and 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 the wedding and the yeah. the carolyn's new uh husband none of which we had really <laughs> accounted for in our in our opening thing here mm-hmm. i mean the way that this season was sort of sort of laid out it was definitely sort of an intentional misdirect to have all the promotional material be about these two, these two centers of power mm-hmm. and how there's a civil war going on and then have the actual season be like just, just the fallout of that not working.
2: Yeah. There was, I don't know if you saw it. Uh, it was like, I think like two weeks ago, there was this article that was going around that was like, I, the exa- I don't remember the exact title but it was the title was something like the unbearable sadness of Tom Wamsgans. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was, like, looking at, like, why people really liked him, and they described succession as, like, an exercise in wheel spinning. Yeah. Which was really interesting, because, like, I think they do a really interesting job of showing how little consequences there are in this world, uh, like, in the world that, like, the Roys are operating in, and, like, Mm -hmm. I can't even be mad about, like, so little of the stuff we thought was gonna happen happened, because, like, it was just really interesting, like, the way that, like, oh, like, Kendall brings all these documents to like the DOJ and like it goes nowhere like no one goes to jail and it's like that's kind of, that's interesting like I it's kind of interesting
1: yeah and I, I feel like the, the like thesis of this show and we'll get into it with some of the things that end up happening in this episode but like the thing that it's trying to get you not to pay attention to is always the important thing
2: yes yes <laughs> Yeah, I was like on the edge of it. I got home really late Sunday and I watched the episode at like 1 a.m. And like I was like literally sitting up like completely straight on my floor. Like I was not prepared for any of this to happen. I was very afraid and surprised.
1: Where, where this episode sort of started is with um, the, the the previous episode, episode 8, ends with Ken uh, in the pool, face down, uh, sort of it seems like he's you know sort of experimenting with like how the thing that logan was talking about how much time the kid had before he you know stopped breathing and um people were freaking out first of all because before the episode even aired because the like trailer for the next episode had leaked and people were wondering why ken wasn't in it yes (laughs) and uh then for, for the episode to end that way there was a lot of speculation beforehand and afterward about if ken was dead i saw a lot of people saying and this really annoyed me i i didn't really think that ken was dead the way that this episode starts for a second i was like wait is he but <laughs> i was like i saw a lot of people being like ken has to die because there's nowhere else for his character to go and that was something that upset me so much right out of the gate just because like I, I, like, I myself could think of, like, a dozen places for Ken to go <laughs> before <laughs> that point. So, for and, you know, you can never, in general, to assume that a writer's room made a decision with a character because it was the only logical choice. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not how it works.
2: Yeah. I, I think I saw your tweet about that because I, like, was also getting very pissed off because it's, like, one, like, genuinely the succession writers do, for the most part, know what they're doing. Like, I do not think they just kill him off penultimate episode of a season because like they can't figure out what to do with him too like there's so much you can do with him and i think the finale proved that i kept thinking about mad men um which Mm -hmm. i feel like is very in conversation with succession and boy by season six of mad men are you shouting jump pussy every time don draper is (laughs) on screen um because that's a show that i think ran out of things to do and i don't advocate for suicide (laughs) I think that Mad yeah, Men, with uh,
1: with with fictional characters,
2: John Draper uh, could have done something. Um, but yeah, I was like thinking about that versus Succession, and I was like, I don't think that's the rut that Succession is in, and I think that yeah, if they had decided to kill Kendall, it, it was for interesting reasons, not because they ran out of speed.
1: Yeah, and like Ken's the main character, like he like he is the protagonist no. of the show, so like. <laughs> Just, just something that people lose sight of sometimes, but this episode does open with a misdirect and it's clear why they did it the way they did it in the end. Like they intended for this episode to start with a little question of maybe even foreshadowing a a future Ken death. Like, like I do think there's a little bit of like the way that this starts with Logan reading to Iverson and you know, he, he says your dad was okay. Like, I think the intention there was to sort of leave leave that dangling that Ken could die.
2: Yeah, I think that's definitely like something that is not off the table right now.
1: Yeah, it's something that, in terms of where this show ends, because they've said they'll only do one or two more seasons, I think that in a way it has to end with Logan dying. Like that's sort of the inevitable thing that's uh, there out of the gate. But mm-hmm. it could. It, it's putting out there the idea of Ken dying. It's leaving that in your head. Yeah. So Logan gets a call uh, and he leaves, he leaves Iverson behind. And then we sort of pan over to the family playing Monopoly.
2: Here's a fun little fact. The Monopoly game is the only part of this episode I even remotely predict predicted. Because one of my dear friends had a prophetic dream four days before the episode. I have screenshots that will prove this, where they said, I had a dream that the succession finale was just the Roy siblings playing Monopoly and nothing else. And so Monopoly was the only thing I thought about going into this episode and there was a Monopoly game.
1: (laughs) There was a a pretty fucking right out the gate Monopoly game. And I thought that was a really fun uh, it's a really fun set piece in a couple ways. It's sort of Another piece of that like, is Ken dead puzzle that they're all, you know, playing Monopoly together and sort of coming together around Ken. And it's it, it, like, we don't know what went down with Ken until Comfrey shows up and they're like, oh, he's coming. Mm-hmm the uh the things that happen in the Monopoly game Willa uh it's Willa's turn when we first show up she decides not to buy a property because it doesn't seem right
2: I love Willa I've become a Willa stan
1: Willa's so great (laughs) like there was definitely when when we first get around to Willa there was a little bit of like you know because she's so standoffish with the family and you're still kind of in it at first it's like it's like you know is is she gonna do anything other than other than that, but she's another example of something that sort of reminds you there's a world outside of this, and you can sort of see the way that she's trying to come into it uh, in an interesting way. I've, I've, have become a conner fan. I'm a this conhead. Season as well,
2: <laughs> I, literally I've become a conhead, and I don't know what happened, but something in me broke. Like I. <laughs> something early on i was like wow i'm really digging connor and then when willa referred to connor as my partner i was like okay willa and connor you guys are the best i love straight women calling their boyfriend's partner and it's my favorite <laughs> so thing great. in the world
1: so fucking great the like y- you talked about how uh at the first episode watch party a friend of yours predicted early on that it was going to be a big season for connor and <laughs> And sort of had that shut down. Con- everything's coming up, Connor. We're getting big Connor futures <laughs> like, like at this point in the game.
2: Everything is coming up, Connor. Brandon, if you're listening, you should feel vindicated right now. Uh, <laughs> the <laughs> summer of con.
1: It, it definitely, I mean, we'll talk about where things go from here, but I definitely think that Con- Connor has been kind of subtly trending up the whole time. And this is the point where he's really becoming a player like like it, this wasn't a big season for him, but it sets up a big season for him.
2: Yeah, I, I don't know if you want to go chronologically, but I love the little monologue he gives when the siblings are having their intervention later in the episode.
1: Yes, absolutely. I think that I, in fact, I would not be surprised if one of the big like set pieces of the next season is Connor and Willa's wedding. That seems like yeah, what it's probably angling towards. And so I think that, um, and of course this season w- was built around Caroline's wedding, which we thought would be a non-consequential thing and it turned mm-hmm. out to be very consequential. Yeah. So if, if Connor's wedding is a big deal next season, maybe Connor's a big deal next season. And here's the thing, like, Again, we'll talk about this when we get to the (laughs) end of the episode. But the way that these factions have split where Mm -hmm. we're at right now, like, there are two clear sides, and the one who's really on the line is Connor.
2: Yeah. No, because he's, like, with the siblings, but he's not with the siblings, and, like, he could want more power, and by going with Logan, he could get more power that way.
1: Yeah. And he's still running for president. He's
2: still (laughs) running for president! (laughs) He sure is! (laughs)
1: <laughs> i do feel like that's another thing that the like the political thread has kind of been dangling this whole mm-hmm. time and i feel like if there's if there's four seasons i don't know if we'll get to it but if there's five seasons i feel like that's something that has to come back in the yeah. end
2: it'll be interesting to see if they bring back more politics because presumably the roys are gonna have to get jobs next season I think Kendall's going to operate like a banana stand or something, Arrested Development (laughs) style. But, um, you know, Shiv might go back to politics, uh, presumably. Like, she does technically have a career, so it'd be interesting to see if they bring in politics that way.
1: Yeah, or if they all become invested in that, Mm. sort of, you know, unify that. Because one of the things I was thinking about in terms of, like... When people were saying there was nothing Ken could do, I was like, Ken could get involved in this in this presidential shit, and he could either join the the Connor bandwagon or he could run as a Democrat. Yeah, like, like who's to say?
2: Democrat Kendall Roy is really fascinating to me. I would love to see what the fuck happens there.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, this whole season he's been playing up how he's he's taken down the uh the old guard and he's like this 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 big feminist and you know he, he's sort of been, been been pushing for that kind of angle this whole season mm-hmm. so i don't know could be uh the other things that happen in the monopoly game are roman pays rent to shiv and tom gets another get out of jail free card. <laughs>
2: thomas lovely little guy <laughs> To say before we start i know i proclaimed myself a wombsgans warrior the last time i was on this show and i uh-huh. feel so vindicated like <laughs> i have won that was my one prediction for this season was the tom wombsgans of being his girl boss era um and i feel yeah. great i f- i'm thriving hashtag tom girls 2019
1: he's all the way up he gave an insane like, like his performances this season have been like unbelievable
2: so good like he he was robbed of the Emmy last time. He deserves that Emmy this time. Like
1: Absolutely. And I, I feel like everyone's kind of gotten behind him at this point, but like yeah. so much just, <laughs> just like unbelievable shit that, you know, spending most of the season thinking he's going to go to prison and, and, and just sort of having that fallout from that and being, you know, you, you sort of feel like he's going to, he's going to do something and you know a lot of people had speculated about Tom committing suicide at some mm-hmm. point this season which would have been <laughs> its, its own sort of sort of mm-hmm. girl boss uh, <laughs> yeah.
2: and a poll going a of way. whether it was going to be Virginia Woolf or Sylvia Platt style um, mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. girl boss on mom's <laughs> kids
1: yeah and then the the turnaround again you talked about this how how it's so interesting that it just kind of Suddenly, turns out to be nothing, and uh, and then you know obviously the great scene in Greg's office. I pointed out at the time how he said he was going to go to the little boy's room, but then he went to Greg's <laughs> yeah, office. Greg's office. <laughs>
2: that entire secrets is just incredible. <laughs> we
1: a great time and Greg season too. Just oh, you know, yeah. such interesting developments there, and that's another thing that we'll talk about in terms of where things go in the next yes. season.
2: Yeah, we need to circle back to Nero and Sporus later in this episode, I think.
1: Absolutely. Uh, Tom has to leave the game early, actually, because he's being profiled by Forbes for turning ATN citizens into a cash machine, uh, which is something that doesn't get explored in the rest of the episode, but like, no. it's something worth considering in terms of Tom. We were talking early on in the season about how Tom being in the plane with Logan and Carl mm-hmm. and Frank was interesting, but he, in addition to sh- having this show of loyalty with the prison thing, he also is making Waystar a lot of money is kind of the only thing that's working about the company at this moment. So there's, there, there, there's a lot to be said about how he's sort of building into that inner circle.
2: It's funny. Cause I think this is the only season where we actually see him do his job. Like, we see him destroy documents in season one and two. um, But like, I was very aware of him like making calls this season. I was aware of him like talking about like media plans and stuff like you see him, you know, at like the like executives dinner or whatever when like the building gets raided and like he's in charge of that stuff. And like, I think it's always kind of been laughable to be like, oh, Tom could be CEO because like, you he's not going to be CEO, what does he do? But like now he does things and like he seems to do them well, uh, shockingly.
1: Yeah, and that's an interesting thing. Another interesting thing that at the beginning of the season, Jerry is sort of, again, in an, in an interestingly unceremonious way, declared CEO. And mm-hmm. we we're speculating on where that would go. He kind of goes nowhere. <laughs>
2: not reading like she was not CEO
1: I expected Jerry to I mean I said at the beginning that it couldn't really be Jerry at the end of the day but I did expect her to be a major player in the drama throughout this season and she really wasn't it it, it just you know she was so in the background that you again didn't kind of notice that she was there except when she was having this interaction with Roman which was completely one-sided this season
2: yeah I think it's interesting because I think like in a really interesting way, she becomes so taken for granted. Um, like, I think like there's kind of an assumption like, oh yeah, her and Roman. And then like, you know, she doesn't really do anything. She's not necessarily a key player, which then makes her like betrayal at the end of this, this finale so much, like it kind of hits you over the head with it. Cause you're like, oh yeah, Jerry uh, does have her own interests at heart here. And like, we forget about that sometimes
1: yeah and you see throughout the season the sort of one-sidedness of their dynamic and how she's you know rejecting him and telling him to stop sending her pictures and stuff but like when it like comes out full force that is that roman is sort of clinging to her and she has no interest in him
0: mm-hmm.
1: like it, it, it's wild and they almost have they they almost have sex at the very least in the first episode of their season but yeah um,
2: <laughs> one of the things we were talking about was like okay so what point do we think they will have sex not if they will have sex in this (laughs) season boy we're wrong
1: who knows knows? (laughs) but i do think the fact that we've been angled away from like like you know i'm talking about these mr x that the show does i think the fact that Mm -hmm. we've been angled away from Jerry and her role might imply that she's going to be important next season or that she, I mean, you know, she's important, it, dramatically speaking, at the mm-hmm. end of this episode. But I think in terms of the sale, she's obviously on the side of the sale, but it'll be interesting to see what role she plays in it. Yeah. Tom also, as he's leaving for the interview, asks if he can give his properties to Shiv and, uh, and the table doesn't allow it. That was interesting.
2: That was interesting. I- didn't really know what to make of that, especially given that um he does completely push her down and flight his stairs at the end of the episode.
1: It's interesting. There's there's layers that uh, we'll kind of try to get into later. Um, and then Willa catches Shiv cheating, and the but you know to the Roy's it's part of the game to cheat, <laughs> of course.
2: Uh, I feel like there's also like kind of a double meaning of cheating. Like when I was like you know watching that, I was like, well Shiv cheats in business, but also cheats like.
1: That's true, and uh, Roman has a has that great bit. I'm like, as as much as Roman has been especially shitty this season, by the end, I, I came oh, yeah. back around on him. You know, I <laughs> like, love
2: that scrawny little fucker.
1: He has that great bit where bit where he's like, cheating is not what good people do. As he's cheating, <laughs> it's really good. It's really good, and that, that's when Comfrey shows up, and uh, they and uh, heralds the arrival of Ken. Mm-hmm. We could talk a little bit about, about the role that Comfrey ended up playing this season.
2: It's really funny. There's been a couple times, uh, throughout the season where I have watched the show with people who've never seen Succession before and for some reason decided to watch season three out of context. And every single time Comfrey comes on screen, someone out loud goes, Dasha! And I think that's the only role she played. Because I do not really understand why her character was here, aside from Greg to make eyes at her, which I don't understand that plot point at all.
1: I kind of think, I mean, she's in a role where she's clearly gonna continue to be around uh, for for the next season. I think that she she became like the key player out of all the members of Ken's like campaign sort of you know like she was she sort of became the liaison as everyone else sort of faded away of like whatever Ken's media strategy is and I think in terms of like these these games that are still being played the idea of having someone who is in Ken's camp and kind of separately has this on and off thing with Greg and you know is completely removed from the Roy's but is sort of It's another thing for Greg to to be picking between because he's got like six people coming at him this season, including himself. Um, Yeah, I think that... This triangle with Comfrey and the Contessa—I don't think that's over. Uh, I don't want that...
2: an entire episode of Greg and the Contessa. I should just say so that.
1: great, so great. As much as there's so many amazing moments this season that I, it, it feels like a betrayal to even say this, but I think my favorite episode, my favorite moment in this episode, might have just been Greg literally seated between Comfrey and the Contessa at the wedding. <laughs>
2: yeah, I love weddings, and then turns to Comfrey and it's like, can you
1: believe this
2: shit? I'm like, you fake ass little
1: whore. <laughs> so great. And so much of this season has been about how Greg is a complete floater and like has no idea what he wants other than like some just something. <laughs> I, I just think that, that relationship between Comfrey and the Contessa is such a great like microcosm of how he he can't make a decision about anything
2: it's just incredible i love it (laughs) i'm obsessed with gregory
1: yeah i i I do think that comfrey has become an interesting layer into the like the overall dynamic of the show um just because i you know as a character she hasn't done much but just as as a figure in this game of chess she's like a herald for ken who kind of hates Ken as it turns out, and you know is is someone who who Greg is interested in, and she's kind of interested in Greg too. But mm-hmm. they have a dynamic that could turn out to parallel a Tom and Shiv dynamic in certain ways. There's a lot of ways that that could go.
2: Yeah, that'd be interesting. I didn't think about them as Tom and Shiv, but you're very right about that.
1: So we find out that Comfrey found Ken and got him out of the water, which is you know something that that could be interesting too. Roman mm-hmm. jokes about paying her to let him drown. Mm-hmm. Uh. And then Ken says he'll grab his kids so he doesn't trust Logan with them. He says he might not come to the wedding because he's talking to new lawyers about potentially releasing all his communication from the past five years on Instagram. He's got a profile coming from Vanity Fair. Mm-hmm. We we find him in an interesting state of, of denial uh where as the episode goes on he's clearly he knows he's kind of at the end of his rope but like the way that he comes through is like first of all I just fell off my floaty it's nothing to worry about second of all I've still got something I'm going to you know completely purge myself and something that I thought could and still might happen is I could have seen After the last episode, I understand why Logan didn't want to put out the information about uh, Ken's involvement in the waiter's death. I could have seen an ending for this where Ken puts out that information.
2: I also could definitely see that especially they were using um, like staff members pretty uh, purposefully as staging in this episode where like Mm. when you know we'll talk about the scene with the siblings outside of the wedding later but you know when they go outside to the wedding they're like behind this building and like Ken keeps turning around specifically because like the waiters for the wedding are coming in and out of this building and like as they're getting in the car to confront Logan, there's a guy, like, there's, like, a young boy who's holding open the door for them, and Ken kind of puts his hand on his shoulder, and, like, there's a bunch of moments like that where you have, like, these physical representations of, like, the guilt that Kendall has.
1: There's also the moment that I thought was interesting as Tom is on the phone with Shiv near the end, where the the waiters are sort of, like, whipping each other with towels Yes, uh, off to the side there
2: which was so bizarre um, and a little homosexual of them um, compared to the Tom and Greg conversation that was happening in front of it.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Very interesting stuff. Uh, I I saw a McFadden interview that was about this last episode and he was like, the interviewer mentioned the like homoerotic sort of uh, undertones of the Tom and Greg dynamic. And he was like, well, we don't plan for anything. We just kind of get in and let the scene do whatever it does. And it's like, okay, man.
2: Matthew <laughs> <laughs> fadian famously improvised the Tom Greg forehead kiss because um, he's insane. I want, like, I need him McFadden to get on, like, Mark Maron or some other long-form podcast because every interview with him from this season has just been like, what is wrong with this man? Like, there is something (laughs) deeply unhinged in him.
1: Yeah, we need him on Pulp Friction. Yeah.
2: Yes, Matthew McFadden, please come on Pulp Friction.
1: Come on, Matthew. We're going to try to release this uh, tomorrow for Gans Wednesday, and we will.
2: (laughs) Wemscans Wednesday, baby!
1: We'll get him on the horn. Let's see. Yeah, Logan's taking this call with Jerry, and Roman tries to join, and he's like, "No." And then we hear from Jerry that with the DOJ's, the the DOJ's fine, and Gojo's going way up, and now Gojo is considering other options for the merger. Uh, we've been hearing sort of since the last episode that it's kind of falling apart for Roman, and um, it might not go the way that he thought it was gonna go. Uh, which is sort of an arc we've seen happen over and over again in these seasons where first season Kendall's riding high he's already interim CEO when the show starts and then he sort of um his addiction sort of gets the better of him at mm-hmm. the end of the season obviously the the death of the waiter is the uh the, the nail in the coffin and then second season Logan tells Shiv that it's her and then and then she sort of blows her chance with the with the Pierce uh merger this season obviously Roman has been on top for a lot of it and it's been like yeah it's obviously Roman and then the combination of the gojo fall it turns out the gojo fallout has actually not been the thing and it has been the the dick pics but um <laughs> there's a little bit above.
2: we're gonna i'm gonna spend like 30 minutes talking about the dick pics if we get fully into it but it is um it's the roman sexual stuff is insane and it will come up in this episode yeah not what i was expecting but i'm very interested in where that goes I think.
1: Yeah, we'll come to it pretty soon, I think. Yeah. We'll, we'll give it a second here. Uh, Logan's going to see Matson. Roman asks to join, and at first he says, stay here and play with your dick, and then Shiv asks to join, and Logan's like, yeah, Roman, come along! So
2: funny, Shiv is sitting there like a little kid who's had her Legos
1: taken away. Such a the fun- Shiv has been so terrible this whole season.
2: Funny.
0: Like-
1: the the episode the uh, you know the episode where they're picking the Republican nominee and uh, at the end of it they're taking the photo with him. And I I really thought that she was at least not going to get in the photo.
2: No, she has no principles. Motherfucker is like, I'll stand to the side, but not next to him. And I'm like, girl, shut up!
1: And I'll look mad about it.
2: I'll look mad about it. Like, okay, sweetie. Girl, like, are you gonna make like a tweet later? Like, I totally condemn all of his actions. I would never support him. <laughs> she sucks. She's so funny.
1: The same letter she wrote about Ken, she just oh, writes yes! it again about it.
2: <laughs> her memo from season two with the side-by-side Malala and Nelson Mandela quotes. I think I think it's really good to have representation for women who suck. Like I yeah. that's wonderful. <laughs>
1: I kind of really enjoyed seeing her regain some of that confidence at the end of this this episode because it's gotten to be kind of unbearable. Just just the way that she's been all this season. <laughs> she always like it, it, it's sort of like cringe comedy in a way that in a way that this show sometimes does really well. Where like every time she almost has something, she fucks it
2: up. <laughs> In the first episode, that like really about the first episode, that Shiv is the best at just fucking up her entire scene the minute she gets anything
1: so quickly, just inst- like
2: <laughs> it's, you hand her an ice cream cone, and immediately there's a flight of stairs that she falls down. Like
1: <laughs> she has this scene in episode eight where she's you know talking to Logan, she has Logan's ear about how Roman uh sends dick pics to jerry and has this relationship with her and then she she just says a little too much <laughs> and just as soon as she's got it it's gone
2: <laughs> it's like literally all you had to do was be like yeah it's a jerry thing and leave the room but nope it's just always always too far <laughs> even even with this one like she probably could have gotten tom to like be on her side but she's like No, I'm going to, like, mention that, like, you know, he has to, like, I'm not, I'm going to mention that he has to do his job or whatever, and, like, it's going to set him off.
1: Yeah, McFadden also talked about that in the same interview, how it's sort of like, if Shiv had phrased it differently, it it might not have ended the way that it did, (laughs) which is just, it's just the the motto of Shiv at this point.
2: (laughs) Girl, do better.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Get well soon. (laughs) The the great line from Logan that leads us into the theme song is let's go see Hans Christian Anderfuck and see oh, if yeah. he's been telling us fucking fairy tales.
2: <laughs> so good. Brian Cox just king of all time. Like
1: he's so great.
2: I'm so fucking
1: funny. We love him. The OG the OG Hannibal Lecter.
2: Every time I remember that he's like the first person to ever portray Hannibal Lecter on screen, I'm like, okay, succession makes a lot of
1: sense, actually. I think. If you just think about him and Hopkins and Mickelson. <laughs> the, the, there is sort of a a, a Venn diagram there. Yeah.
2: mads vigelson guest on Succession season four. That's Please.
1: He'd be so good. Please. I see it in my mind's eye. It's got to happen. So the next thing we get is uh Logan and Roman on the boat. Yes. Which I think is where we we have the conversation about the uh the dick pics, but um. The first thing is that uh, you know Carrie's in the in the front seat and Logan you know leans over, <laughs> leans over to him like good looking woman huh and then,
2: and then Roman does not say anything back. Yeah,
1: <laughs> uh, the first thing that Logan says is so what is it son are you scared of pussy? Yes, putting
2: putting on my little queer studies major hat. Um, the Roman Roy. It's the whole, it's whole deal is so fascinating because I do think there's some sort of sexual trauma that they are hinting at, uh, that I do not know fully what it would be. Um, I think it's kind of purposely vague, like what that might be, but there's also like a lot of queer coding going on. Um, actually there's honestly been more, there has been a lot of queer coding for both like Roman because, um, there's the episode earlier in the season where uh Logan calls him the F Slurf.
1: Yeah. And there's the scene of him with the with the Republican guy where it it, it pretty yes. directly implies that he's giving him a handjob, like <laughs> at least metaphorically. Yes.
2: It it is like Hannibal NBC levels. Hannibal NBC is gonna come up a lot this episode. Um sure. it's like Hannibal NBC levels of like visual metaphors for a blowjob with the Republican presidential candidate there's a lot there's definitely an energy with him and um mattson the guy that they're going to visit now oh
1: totally yeah
2: like especially in the previous episode when Matson's like i like to get into bed with people um like there's like a lot of coded language there
1: i thought we 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 get you know him and the republican guy in a bathroom and then we also get him and Matson in a bathroom when he's uh pissing on the phone
2: yes uh bathrooms famously the site of gay sex um mm. i love to pay attention to bathrooms and movies as a result of that i think i think that's like a really good point point. and like i think like especially like the scene with the republican candidate like the way that they're both dressed down and like they're roman is putting moisturizer all the way up to his forearms for like that yeah. entire scene <laughs> in one of the most psychotic like acting choices i've ever seen just lathering up the entire time and like it's unclear for what and like then there's like that very abrupt cut and they're back in the room
1: yeah, and the scene kind of ends with him being like, all right, let's do this, and then it cuts to <laughs>
2: yeah. And they fucked, like, he fucked that old man. Yeah. Um, And then, you know, with this, con- like, or I guess in, I think it's the episode before, after Logan, or Roman accidentally sends his dick pic to his dad, Logan, Logan says, like, are you a sicko? Which, like, you know, is, like, very loaded uh, for a lot of reasons, um, especially with, like, we know that roman does have like hang-ups with heterosexual sex and like there's that whole thing where he's like talking to his girlfriend in season two and he's like i want you to pretend to be a dead woman and like yeah like he's got stuff to work out but there's also like that stuff is being at the same time combined with and overlaid on the queer coding that's happening this season and like i think the use of like the f the use of in that same not this episode but the previous episode where logan also asked kendall if he's queer Um, and then immediately asking Roman like in the same tone, like it's very similar conversations when he's like, are you a sicko? Like queer and sicko are kind of working together as the same word almost.
1: Yeah, and I think the same way that, Logan's misogyny was sort of front and center in season two as Shiv was kind of vying for that position. I think the fact that Logan's homophobia has been so directly called to as much mm-hmm. as it has this season implies to me that it's going to become important in the next season.
2: Yes, I there was a tweet going around about this this morning but the fact that like part of what tips him over the edge with both Kendall and Roman is like their uh, failed heterosexuality. And then he turns to Tom and Greg. Yeah. As <laughs> team, um, I think we're gonna watch Tom get called like a poofter. Like very first scene next episode. Like Logan's gonna pull out old timey ass slurs for that man.
1: We're gonna get into it definitely. <laughs> And I think given the extent to which this show is about abuse and that has become increasingly apparent this season, and even just the way that like all the characters are sort of tied to their past, their like youth in a lot of ways, as is implied in the opening sequence, Mm -hmm. but also just, I mean, later in this episode when they're storming the castle and Roman talks about this, this time where they had water pistols in Bali and they were all going to ambush Logan and then they left him stranded we we see very directly how their childhood and these these incidences these minor things from way in the past still impact them yeah. to such an extent today and are still at the root of their dynamics i feel like there is something in in roman's past that yeah. that sort of relates to this and it's something that could become apparent in future seasons could uh implicate any number of other characters but um yeah
2: you know I think while we're on this idea of like memory and childhood, um, I'll bring this up because it ties into like a lot of the stuff. But I have really been thinking about how there's no flashbacks at all in succession. Um, and it's like, you know, when I'm thinking about shows that like are in conversation with succession, it's like I think like Mad Men, The Sopranos, Breaking Bad, like I think they're all having very similar conversations about abuse and masculinity and trauma. And off the top of my head, like all of those deal mostly in the present, but they do deal with flashbacks. Mad Men especially deals a lot in flashbacks as the seasons get on. And I think it's really, really interesting that Succession never does that. Like Succession, you start very in media res from season one, episode one. Like you're kind of thrown into this world. And like your insight into what happened in the past is all verbal. Like you're never going to see a clip of Roman in the dog cage. You're only going to hear... Connor and Kendall and Roman's completely contradictory stories about Roman in the dog cage and you're going to see them put into conversation with each other but you're not going to be told what the actual definitive one is because there isn't a definitive one and like I think it's really really interesting that the show only works in present voice and works in like verbal recollection as opposed to visual recollection.
1: Yeah it's the same thing with the homeless guy who uh (laughs) who they like tattooed uh ken's initials on where there's so much just like the scene is so vividly implied and yet we only see that that faint echo of like what's left of the tattoo on on his forehead and, and his initials being klr which implies that maybe his little middle name is logan yeah. which is uh, you know uh an impactful thing as well yeah
2: and even i mean even in that scene there's this line that roman has where like oh i thought the tattoo was bigger where it like is kind of pointing out that like he has like a failure of memory like he has yeah a failure and like it's like i think it's the episode before where Shiv is having the conversation with her mom at the bachelorette party before the wedding and you know they're kind of disputing like the mom says something like, oh, you were 10 or you were 13. and shifts like, I was 10. And it's like, these details don't line up. And it's like, there is no past, but there's also a hundred different pasts at the same time.
1: Yeah. And I think even in just like the way that, as you were saying, the way that this show begins and it's like all the things that are like, apparently key to the drama of the show have been going on forever. You know, mm-hmm. Logan's been old and sick for probably a long time. Ken's been kind of the de facto successor. And we we know about his history with addiction, but like past the, you know, we, we see bits and pieces of it in the first season. And it kind of doesn't come up after that, but, uh, or doesn't, isn't literally seen after that. But um, just, you know, all the dynamics that are there, even in just that first like dinner party that, the, mm-hmm. the, that happens at the first episode, it's all things that come from the past, except for Greg.
2: Except for Greg,
1: <laughs> <laughs> Which we'll, we'll talk about it.
2: <laughs> I okay. I am like trying not to like derail this entire thing to talk about like temporality and literature film, but like the fact that like even Greg's presence in their past memories is so murky is like really fascinating because like they remember the fact of him being there and they remember like Greg the egg but like Greg barely remembers being there like it's as if he's met these people for the very first time and like I don't know it's like the way he works with the audience surrogate but also like he's within the family and without the family and just I think how that then relates to his position now and Tom's position I don't know our uh, Succession's a good show (laughs) Succession's a good good, a thing. it's a good show it's kind of good it's a good show (laughs) I I can't believe no one's saying this, but Succession is a good show.
1: It is. So uh, the sort of end of Logan and Roman's conversation is Logan saying, if you need to get straightened out, get straightened out, okay? I don't want to know. Again, pretty overt, you know, uh, queer messaging there. And, uh, you know, sort of calling directly again to Logan's homophobia. Logan and Matson hit it off right away. just, (laughs) Just an instant sort of uh, lovely thing there and we remember uh, Roman's conversation with Matson a few episodes ago where they obviously had that friendship going on but he did do this whole thing about like this is a really nice house or whatever and then Logan is like what do you want me to say you have a beautiful home <laughs> it's uh, very interesting
2: mm-hmm. yeah I did not have a lot of takeaways from that conversation I feel like aside from like the fact that Matson floats buying uh Waystar. I have a very hard time paying attention to the business stuff in this show, but that was like, I don't know, the dynamics in that conversation were interesting because especially the scene where they're offered coffee and Roman is the only one to take it felt so strange and I don't know what to make of that.
1: Well, I think there's an element, like getting a little bit to the end of the episode and how Logan considers himself the winner, even though he has lost the thing he's supposedly been clinging to this whole time. I feel like... Part of what Logan got out, and there's something that's been talked about in previous episodes, where Logan and Matson sort of speak the same language. But I feel like what Logan kind of got out of that dynamic is Matson is like me, yeah. And you know, Matson taking over would kind of be the same vision as me being in charge. And I think that's sort of what he's been looking for in his kids and in you know the people around him this whole time. And he sees Matson, and he's suddenly like, the you know, this is the kind of guy who can run run waste up.
2: Yeah, I think that's a really really smart way of putting. It. It. Um, I think that's exactly what's going on there,
1: and it's especially interesting because, like, he's done all these trials for his kids, and he's like given each of them kind of a a, a chance to show their stuff, and he's always kind of giving them chances. But yeah. when he meets Matson, he sees it right away, and it almost sort of implies that he's always known none of his kids could be CEO. Yeah,
2: well, because it's like he doesn't need to give Matson a chance. Matson is already in the process of doing that.
1: Uh, Matson tells Logan an anecdote courtesy of mark zuckerberg about uh ancient romans wanting to make slaves wear a special tunic but deciding against it because if the slaves could see how many of them there were they would rise up and kill their masters
2: i think it ties really neatly into the end of the episode with the siblings finally um forming together
1: yeah you know realizing the it, it, the the scene with them in the van is kind of the first time that they've talked openly about their issues with Logan before <laughs> and it's sort of a in a way definitely a moment of them realizing how many of them there are <laughs> but um, I think there's also an element with uh, the thing you're talking about with how how waitstaff is is, is emphasized mm-hmm. in such interesting ways in this episode and um, I don't know there's a there's a couple ways in which it could be interesting but I definitely think that's one of them and I guess the you know people talk about how like the colors of outfits are meaningful Mm -hmm. in in the show and I think you know having having that conversation be explicitly about that is is interesting too yeah like you know like you were saying it's it's interesting how instantly Roman becomes the third wheel in in that dynamic like as soon as Logan and Madsen start talking they like don't know he's there at all and he's like sort of Throwing these one liners out at random points and they're not paying attention at all.
2: And then he's very swiftly sent home. Like, it's, it was so, um, like, blunt what was happening. It was like, if you're like, I need to your roommate, like, I need you to leave so that I can have someone over. Like, that was like the tone of Logan being like, Do you want to go visit your mom right now? But, uh, like, do you want to go, do you want to go play with mommy?
1: It's definitely a moment where he <laughs> becomes what Shiv has been for so much of this season, because everything he says just makes things worse. Yes. And Logan is very quick with him to be like, just get out of here.
2: <laughs> so if I, listen, Logan is a terrible person, but it is genuinely very funny when he dismisses the kids so quickly. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's interesting to see him, whenever you see, and you see more of it in this episode than I think we have up to this point, but Mm -hmm. whenever you see Logan actually in the process of like doing business stuff, which he's supposedly this genius at, he's never like, he he doesn't put on a front or anything. Like he will be petty and he will be mean and he will just say whatever shit Like, like, like he does when he's talking to friends or family or whatever. He acts the same way in business, but it just works. And it works for us too.
2: Yes. There's like, um, you know, back in season two, when like him and um Raya, played by Holly Hunter, are like kind of first thinking about doing this like buyout of the company that she works for. There's like this great moment when like Shiv and Kendall are kind of throwing a bunch of like business lingo at her and it's not really going anywhere. And he just turns to her and is like, Do you trust me? Like, do you trust me with your business? And like it's such a good example of like Logan is able to do this because he is Logan. Yeah. Like very innately there is something that he embodies that puts him in this position
1: and the same way we talked we'll talk about it more I'm sure the same way that he kind of gets to decide what winning means for him like he's just you know he has that sort of institutional power where it's just like what he says goes even if people don't want it to be that way
2: yeah exactly there's
1: this there's also this interesting part of that conversation where Matson says he's excited about the future Logan says so am I and Matson's like yeah but are you and Logan Sort of goes on this interesting little thing about how he is excited, but he's not sure about America and how he uh, sort of remembers the the promise that came with America when he started doing business there and he feels like they've uh, pissed it all away.
2: Again, not to be a Sarah Lawrence College student, but I've spent a lot of the semester looking at the way that like America and Europe are presented in queer American literature and so I've had a lot of these like ideas of like identity kind of like national identity kind of on my mind and like there's this long pattern within these novels like Americans needing to go away to Europe for Mm -hmm. this kind of like transformative process and like I think what Logan is saying about like oh suddenly like america was he says like really it's a really weird phrase like he's like america was a land of gentle giants you know and like
1: yeah i I have the quote here there were these gentle giants smelling of fucking golden milk they could do anything now look at them fat as fuck scrawny on meth or yoga they pissed it all away yes
2: like i loved that phrase because it was like a really interesting like look into his worldview where he's like oh america's like a dead country like it's been kind of eaten away and stuff and like i think it's really i think there's like this pattern that succession gets into where it's like there's so much that isn't said and there's so much wheel spinning and then in like the last episode or two of the season you get bam 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 and like everything is kind of like revealed and like every single season finale has happened in europe season one is in england season two is in greece or i don't know somewhere in the mediterranean and this season is in Italy. And like, I think there's something very notable about the fact that they're only able to have these conversations when they are no longer in an American context. And I think there's something very specific about Logan being able to make this judgment and this characterization of Americans only when, because Logan's national identity is also weird, because he's Scottish and Canadian and American now. And he's saying this to like a Swedish man in, there's some, they're not in Italy, they're somewhere else um, for this specific conversation. But like, I think there's a lot happening with how um, nationality is tied into these. Yeah,
1: and that makes it interesting to think about the first episode of this season and how Logan did, didn't think he could immediately go back to America.
2: Yes. Yeah, and like how so much of that premiere is happening in these like really weird transitory spaces where they're like in between countries and they're like away from home, but they're not from like, like they're in airplanes and cars and weird fucked up hotel rooms.
1: And uh, maybe logan's relationship to america you can think about how that could tie into the political plot line coming back into play mm-hmm. in coming seasons i think there's you know that could become more important later on yeah so yeah then mattson does float the idea of taking over logan's position and uh he doesn't immediately reject it which sends roman into a panic
2: roman's panic is really funny because then he decides to do nothing about it He's like, "What is my dad doing?" and then keeps that secret for like half the episode.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he uh, <laughs> Logan does like eventually say no, and then Matson is, I think, in this in this way that's meant to imply something else. He's like, "Well, we could stick around and talk about other stuff," kind of looking over at yeah. Roman, and then <laughs> Logan's like, "Hey, Roman, why don't you go? <laughs> yeah. Do you play with your iPad. Daddy's busy." <laughs> Yeah, so they, they sent Roman back to the wedding, and like you said, he, Shiv's prodding him for information for a lot of this episode, and yeah. he's not saying anything uh, <laughs> when it would it would have made things a lot easier if he had just said something, but uh-huh. I think that could speak to ju- just the fact that, I mean, even when they're in the car, the fact that he still kind of struggles to believe that Logan isn't on his side.
2: Yes. Yeah, I think Roman has, like, the hardest time, like, reconciling what is happening with what with his, like, previous worldview.
1: Yeah, but uh, he comes back to Shiv and Connor. Uh, Shiv's upset because Rome isn't talking. Rome doesn't actually know anything, so he's upset. And Connor is upset that he's not in the loop about the merger. Yep. Uh, and uh, we come to find out that they're all there to stage an intervention for Ken.
2: I, really like, this scene, I was thinking a lot about the scene in the season two finale uh, after Roman gets kidnapped. I always forget that Roman gets kidnapped. Right. <laughs> um, and he comes back and he's like talking to Kendall and Shiv and he's like, is there a, like, you know, like a world where we can kind of talk about things normally? And they both make fun of him with Muppet voices and they're like, you want to talk about things normally? <laughs> um, <laughs> and I think like this is such a big shift where they're like very blatantly saying like hey you attempted suicide are you okay we want to support you through this like we want to make sure you're okay and like talk about these things and like it was just like I don't know Succession does so much obfuscation and like hides so much of like like you you as the audience are aware of like these characters feelings but they do so much of hiding from each other. That it was like really, really jarring to like see them have this conversation in like, the, even with all the jokes and stuff like the most genuine way that they are capable of.
1: Yeah, and I think that it's something that's really interesting to me is how, as I said, in season one, Ken's addiction is so front and center this season we do not see him do drugs uh at any point we don't see him sort of fall prey to those addictions we just see him um <laughs> involved in this in this drama in whatever mm-hmm. way that he is but um it's interesting how as they're intervening for him they don't even really know what exactly they're trying to like wake him up to Like, mm-hmm. like they just they just know they think he committed suicide he maintains that he wasn't trying to commit suicide and they uh, and they're like you're addicted to, I think Shiv says you're addicted to like drugs and alcohol and sex and family drama. And it's like, like, like they really don't know what they're intervening about.
2: Yeah. And then Kendall kind of turns it around on them and is like, you need an intervention, you need an intervention, you need an intervention. And it's Roman says this thing, like, yeah, I do, but we're going to get to that later. And it's like, there's been so many moments this season where someone is like, as a joke says to Roman, like, what's wrong with you? And he says, I don't know, we're working on it. And it's like, there's like such a failure of understanding from all three of them or all four I forgot the fourth Roy sibling. all four of them um towards each other in really interesting ways
1: yeah definitely and uh, (laughs) definitely comes out in this scene for I mean first of all just before before we get into it I think that it's interesting how this is a scene where Shiv is leading I, I mean, just to get into it a little bit as Connor is starting to uh, have an outburst, Jim is like, just let me lead, okay? And as we've seen her sort of so powerless throughout this season, it was, like I said, kind of nice to see her sort of reclaim some of that power that she had in in the first season and a half, maybe. that, And she sort of maintains that with the sibling dynamic throughout the episode. We get the sense that she sort of can find that power. She takes that power wherever she can find it. And so when she can take it from Tom, she does that. And when Mm -hmm. she can take it from the siblings, she does that. Um, Connor starts to go off on Ken and then uh, Shiv cuts him off. And then Ken says, do you have any idea how it feels to be the eldest son to be promised something and then just have it taken? And Shiv's like, yeah, I do. And then Connor says, I'm the eldest son.
2: (laughs) I have in my notes, I wrote Connor hashtag girl moment here. Um, (laughs) which I don't remember why I wrote that, but I think I was (laughs) trying to say that Connor really is, um, kind of having his, like, girl boss moment here, um, because he's, like, you know, there's been all these, like, little moments throughout the season where people talk, like, one of the siblings will mention that, like, Connor took care of them when, like, Logan didn't, and, like, watching him snap and being, like, I need to assert my position in this family but also specifically my position as the eldest in this family is like two minutes ago I forgot that there was four Roy siblings like I think there's been a lot of jokes but I think it's like he's Connor is a very passive person and watching him like very aggressively and actively assert himself and like there's this great um the camera work in this scene is really good like really shaky and like fast in a way Mm -hmm. that like it hasn't been as much this season um but there's this like great shot of him like it's like pointer finger and he's kind of like banging on like the table and he's like I am the Yellow Sun like he's placing himself in this conversation
1: yeah and I think that um just talking about our earlier conversation about how everything is informed by the past. The fact that the three of them work like raised by Connor in 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 ways that are becoming mm-hmm. increasingly evident, and if, I, you know, it's an it's an aspect of their memory that they don't have as much access to that they kind of forget about, mm-hmm. um, and that is clearly so present for Connor. I I feel like that's another way in which you can see Connor becoming increasingly important in uh in coming seasons just because like he's reached a tipping point in a similar way to how how tom has over the course of this season where like he's he's been disrespected by every i mean they're they're all being disrespected by each other constantly but connor seems to have gotten it seems like connor doesn't have as much trauma from logan but he did he, he was put into a position where he had to take all the responsibility at, at as a kid himself and that yeah. is its own kind of trauma and um he talks about in this scene how maybe he wants power and no one's ever asked him if he does yeah. <laughs> uh at, at, you know moving forward if we are seeing connor sort of make plays in that regard uh, i feel like this is a moment that con heads have definitely been waiting for for a long time but it
2: <laughs> before we move on from the scene there's like two lines from connor that like i specifically wrote down because there's he says this thing where he's like i didn't see pop for three years when like he's like kendall's talking about how hard it is and it's like there's like been a couple moments where it becomes very clear that whatever happened with logan and his first wife was like very bad like there's some insinuation that Connor's mom ended up in like some sort of mental institution mm-hmm. and I think it's no longer like I think she might have passed um and like this line about like he didn't see their dad for three years and it's like okay why didn't she see their dad like what happened and like it kind of places him he's an outsider in interesting ways and like is again what we were talking about with like these like moments of like the past that's through and then there's like also you know as he's like kind of calling out Kendall Kendall's like oh I thought you loved me as, like, a joke to product Connor, and Connor just says, like, asshole, I love all three of you pricks. Like, he completely shuts it down. He's like, I love you so much, and this is why I'm doing this. I'm like, you so rarely hear them say, like, I love you, and Connor, like, very blatantly being like, no, I do love you. You also suck shit is, like, really... I don't know. It's, like, interesting.
1: Especially contrasted with the way that Logan dismisses love at the end of this episode. Yes! I I think it speaks to how... I, I mean, the fact that Connor is kind of their real dad, but also the fact that uh, Connor is the one among them who is the least like Logan.
2: Yes. Yeah, like Connor like genuinely does value love and like ha- hashtag Conhead of uh, like he, that's been like a big motivator for him this season in ways that I was not expecting given that Connor is also a hashtag crazy girl.
1: Yeah, we see that with with his relationship with Willa too and how he's the only one who kind of, <laughs> I guess I'm calling yeah. them a normal relationship. <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay. The Connor Willa scene is immediately after the sibling scene, so I think we should just go straight into it because Connor and Willa are literally the most normal relationship on Succession right now, and it is absolutely deranged that that is the case like they started out she was his captive girl like it was the 1950s and like he was buying a hooker an apartment which is literally what he does and now they're engaged to be married because they love each other and they're partners
1: and do you think about you know uh pen being divorced and roman being non-responsive i guess and shiv Telling Tom that she doesn't love him, and you know, just like increasingly, and the way that we're introduced to Connor as like this recluse with a with a ranch who doesn't get involved in family stuff is like He's we're so sort of, we get him right out the gate as like you know completely off his guard and someone who's sort of out of the loop with everything, and we're seeing increasingly how he has sort of been wronged by Logan and sort of. Removed from his rightful place in the family.
2: It's really interesting that Connor is the only example of success. Successful might be a strong word, but the only example of like functioning heterosexuality that we have in this family. Because like even Logan, he's technically married to Marsha, but he's currently so we did not talk about him he's sleeping with the secretary, but he is sleeping with his secretary. Um, and like you know Shiv's marriage girl that's not a marriage um and you know like you said and like it's I don't know it sets up a really interesting dynamic where the like outsider to the family is the only one who's like actually able to like exist within these like traditional not traditional because it's not a super traditional relationship the only one who's been able to actually have a relationship that has not only developed but built into something better than it was in season one
1: yeah but now he might want a piece too he might want to have both
2: he might want a piece so we'll see We'll see if he's able to keep Willa with power. Because he does tie the two things together when he says, like, my campaign is fucked and you're going to leave me and I love you. Like, those are all issues that are tied in his
1: head. At this point, after several days of unresponsiveness, Willa doesn't say yes, but she says fuck it. To, to Mary and forever.
2: <laughs> I love Willow. Willow might be my favorite character right now.
1: Willa's so good. <laughs> she just, like... We forget about her play.
2: (laughs) I never, I never forget about her play.
1: I wonder if Willa could could become a a, a player too, just if you think about how she obviously wanted to be a playwright and that didn't work out. She wanted to be a playwright as Connor wanted to be president and both were sort of left off the table uh, in ways that they could kind of come back from or could, you know... Vie for something else in the absence of that.
2: Maybe she'll take over one of their film studios. You know, she could be up oh. there. She could. I, I would love Willa Girl Boss era.
1: She could write a play about the <laughs> Roy. Yeah,
2: <laughs> I I love like an extended Thirty Rock style cutaway scene to Willa's like Hamilton ripoff about the Roy family.
1: So uh Willa also says, "How bad could it be?" That's another. <laughs> You know, that's a great thing for us to look back on in a season when we see how that can
2: be. (laughs) I'm really excited for like the Tumblr uh, gifs side by side. You know, I don't know, maybe Connor Serial kills her or something. Like, who knows? Chappaquiddick 2.
1: I mean, part of the, if you think about part of the reasoning behind them getting married early on in the season, it was because it would help his campaign.
2: Yes, that would be really interesting. I don't want Willa to die. It would be really interesting if Connor's campaign was tanked because it pulls a fucking Kennedy move. Yeah, we'll
1: see. We'll see about that. I def I, again I definitely kind of want Connor's campaign to become increasingly important, but uh we'll see if it does. Uh we, we sort of get our first Greg moment outside of the Monopoly game. We see uh him still between the Contessa and Comfrey mm-hmm. and uh you know, not sure what to do about it. Marsha, it's this whole season, we haven't really been seeing Marsha. And in this episode, we, we don't see what she does, but we see that she's still in our circle.
2: It's interesting the way they stage uh, a lot of people throughout the season. I think there's like a lot of deliberate stuff happening with Marsha where she's like very, she's visually on the fringes and like, we're only catching glimpses of her. I do also kind of wonder if maybe COVID uh, was a little bit of a side effect in terms of characters this season, because mm-hmm. we never see Tabitha either. But yeah, Marsha's interesting how she's kind of skirting around in this episode.
1: Yeah, I mean, we talked about it at the beginning of the season, how we didn't, we wondered about what Marsha's role would be because Ken had mentioned, or Jess had mentioned that they, they, kind, they like had Marsha for 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 you know overthrowing the board and i think it's interesting again it's just interesting that she is still clearly a player and she's someone who is in the room where it happens and has the like mm-hmm. inside information despite everything <laughs> she's always she's always been a player in a way though she's always had even from the beginning she's had that angle of like she's going to be part of the business even though she's not
2: yeah. i think it's also interesting how she's like almost functioning as like a beard for logan
1: because mm. like
2: you know uh the the mom i think last episode makes the joke about like the porcupine the something in the concubine um about like logan Marsha and carrie and it's like logan is actually with carrie but Marsha is there to like be, like be his media presence and like that's what they established in this kind of like agreement that him and Marsha make in the beginning of the season um and it's like interesting to see how that continues where like She shows up at the wedding specifically to confuse the children and like kind of throw them off their tracks.
1: So Ken arrives late to the wedding and he's like, sorry, did I hold you up? Whatever. And Peter is waiting for Logan.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I am obsessed with Peter. He gets like two lines and I'm like, there's something wrong with this dude. (laughs)
1: <laughs> Peter is fucking nuts i don't like, like i don't know what is up with him i mean he turns out to be a red herring in the sense of you know roman being worried about him all season and the yeah. the, the real the real horror being right uh behind him but like there's something up with that guy
2: <laughs> there's something he's ill like there's something wrong i think you have to be a little insane to marry caroline um period but mm-hmm. like just his whole deal I'm like why are you in Italy like that's my first question is why is this happening in Italy because it's clear it's because of him
1: yeah they almost project onto him their fears about Marsha
2: yeah I have a note written down that says like Chekhov's prenup because like they keep bringing up the prenup as like this thing that's like going to fuck them and like in some ways it does but like Peter doesn't even do shit. Like he is just there to look silly and like Caroline is the one who fucks them over in in the end. Yeah,
1: and, well like... well Peter's excited about it though.
2: <laughs> Peter's excited. Peter's excited, but she can't get into it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, like I was saying just a moment ago, I think that there's an interesting sort of parallel with the role that Marsha played early on in the show. And especially mm-hmm. with Caroline suddenly becoming like a, a player, suddenly becoming yeah. someone who, again, another character who we're introduced to her as someone who's on the fringes and has kind of removed herself from the game. But now it's it, now she's sort of becoming such a center of power mm-hmm. in a way that Peter could be consequential yeah. in the future.
2: I hope he does to see more of that weird dude.
1: And it's interesting, this whole thing about him wanting uh, Logan to be at the wedding really bad. <laughs> like, he definitely wants something from Logan or wants Logan on some level. Mm-hmm. And wants to be a Roy, maybe. Wants to be part of the right. family.
2: I also think it's interesting that we do not see their actual wedding. We only see the reception which is exactly what happens with uh, Tom and Shiv's wedding where because it's kind of a two-part episode in season one. And I think the wedding happens between the penultimate episode and the finale of that season. Whereas this was like just an immediate cutaway, like not important.
1: Yeah, we get like a little, we, we, we don't get much.
2: No, but, we, we, um, we see Greg sitting down for the wedding um, and his two-faced snake moment,
1: <laughs> two women, <laughs>
2: and that's all we get from it.
1: Yeah, so first of all, I think there's an interesting sort of throughout this episode but in a moment right after this this role reversal with Shiv and Roman where Shiv is like firing off one-liners and Roman is like really perturbed about like how how things are sort of moving forward without him and he's like not paying attention to to her Mm -hmm.
2: yeah her constant like oedipal jokes as like the wedding is starting is so it's just like a barrage of them
1: yeah and she loves to pull those out this is this, this whole season she's been she's been bringing the hits from that regard. oh yeah and it seems like she at least thinks that she has an insight into like what roman's hang up is that, that no one else does
2: i I'm very interested to see what they do with that next season because I think the show is very good at throwing you off your course without betraying what they've set up and you know I think there's been a lot of Oedipal jokes I don't I I wonder if that's a bit of misdirection again
1: it could be I also wouldn't be surprised if Roman's trauma does involve Caroline and that's an element of 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 her character that's going to become apparent in the future but um it could be something completely different too. Uh, And then, yeah, the two things we get from the wedding are the great Greg moment (laughs) that we love and Willa crying.
2: Yeah, unclear why Willa's crying. I don't know if you're supposed to read that as like a bit of a end of the graduate moment where she's like, ah, shit, like I just agreed to marry Connor. I don't want to do this. Or if it's like (laughs) she just loves weddings because either is possible with Willa
1: yeah i think it's meant to be ambiguous in a way but it's interesting how like that's sort of the thing that sets off the greg moment is that greg looks over and sees lilla crying and he says to the cadet like man she's really getting into it and then the cadet is like i love weddings <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the Contessa is another completely new character that we don't really know anything about
2: I am just like obsessed with the concept of her like just this princess that Greg is like yeah I can do that that'll work yeah Uh, (laughs) it does it does (laughs) Gregory I Gregory has a charm there's something about uh Gregory and Nicholas Braun in real life that just seems to like he's just very easily accessible i think that's his charm
1: and he's had some kind of realization in the past episode or two that's like wait a minute i'm tall and i'm rich and i can just do whatever
2: I want. <laughs> he's got a lot of confidence that is maybe not earned
1: <laughs> yeah there's some good stuff with that uh shortly after this but um again just being directly between Calvary and the contestant is so good
2: it's so funny it's like the only time I found Dasha funny this entire season is when she's like this is so bogus and he's like I know tell
1: me (laughs) (laughs) oh great stuff and then yeah, we cut immediately to the reception where Shiv is giving a toast to Caroline and Peter, and she says, I hope your marriage is as rich and happy and rewarding and fulfilling as mine.
2: The <laughs> cuntiest thing she could have possibly said with then her little hand just on Tom's oh, shoulder. Tom. <laughs> Tom looks like he's gonna kill himself on the spot. <laughs> like so good. it's so funny.
1: Oh, man. And, like, she's she's getting through this speech, and she's kind of s- sort of, like, meandering her way through it, and then she just decides to drop something right at the end. <laughs> it's
2: <so funny. laughs> The Tom and Schiff fail marriage is the best part of this entire season. Just every single episode, just new lows of, like, oh, my God, you guys are about to get so epic divorced in a way no one has ever been divorced before.
1: After that, Shiv grills Roman again. Roman says that the deal is cool beans. And then Shiv's like, you don't have a fucking clue, do
2: you? Oh, and then Connor drops the fertility smoothie, right? Like that's in this scene.
1: Yeah, Connor comes around right at that moment and uh, he forgives Roman and Shiv. And then he says that he's learned through Carrie via Willa that Logan is consuming maca root, implying that he's looking to have another kid. As Roman puts it, working on his jism.
2: As the resident smoothie shop expert, I can confirm that maca root does, uh, supposed to be do that, supposed to help your fertility. So, uh, hashtag Roman uh, Logan Roy, come to root and vine. I'll give you a discount <laughs>
1: <Freak>. <laughs> on Thursday. I think that, um, i mean that's a whole other thing that like that we're we're sort of directed away from which makes yeah. me think it could be important what if logan has another kid
2: i <laughs> that baby's gonna come out fucked up i feel so bad for carrie but also carrie is kind of seemingly uh machiavellian right now working her way up feeding logan those fucked up terrible shitty smoothies a bad color when she hands him the smoothie it is the worst color i've ever seen like you know there's some like weird spirulina in there
1: that's another thing just thinking about the way that where this show goes (laughs) like another kid is such a crazy fucking thing to throw in there
2: i want a fifth for a sibling that is a two month old so bad i want to see them curse out the baby
1: the baby, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> there's, you can imagine so many great scenes, almost season one style scenes where they're just like in the in the room with the crib and they're like, this fucking baby. <laughs> when
2: Roman says we gotta kill that baby, I laughed so hard.
1: Yeah, and you can think about how he ended up sort of distancing himself from Connor and you know having more kids. It's, it sort of feels like there's an implication of now they're all Connor and he has to have another one. (laughs) Oh, Connor. Yeah. He's got to start over. But, uh, Connor says, I guess he doesn't, he really doesn't rate you guys, which is, is is interesting. I mean, just the use of the word rate is interesting, but also like later in this episode when uh, Logan swears up and down that Matson rates them.
2: Yeah. I have like never heard rate used in that context that many times before it felt very purposeful.
1: And then uh, Tom enters the scene and reveals to Roman, despite Shiv's protest, that he and Shiv are talking about having a kid.
2: (laughs) That entire scene feels so deeply deranged. Like, Tom, he feels so manic. Like, it feels like his skin does not fit on his face and he's been replaced by a puppet. Like, when he's like, we're freezing. Have you, we're freezing? And it's like, are you okay, buddy? Like, are you good?
1: (laughs) He's clearly not, and it's left ambiguous, like at what stage of the betrayal he is in this moment. But like, it it could be that he's already that he's already fucked Shiv, and it could be that like, yeah, I, I mean, certainly they're in an interesting dynamic, and Tom is not in denial about it by this point.
2: No, I think after uh, Shiv saying "I don't love you" multiple times in the previous episode, I think Tom is really uh, evaluating his options.
1: Yeah, and you can see how he's sort of, uh, I, again, how Shiv, like, doesn't want him to say anything to Roman, and he's sort of, you know, going against her and being like, yeah, we're talking about freezing, and, you know, I think he co- he sort of expects that Roman is going to say the thing about, like, like you're going to have to carry it, and he's, yeah. you know.
2: Tommy tits or whatever he says.
1: But uh, that, that e- emasculation thing is interesting, going back to earlier how you talked about how you accidentally wrote um, Connor hashtag girl moments. <laughs> And I do think there's an element of him being emasculated by being removed from that title of of eldest son. By you know, I mean, I mean, obviously, we 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 talked about Logan's misogyny and how that runs deep and sort of what the the dynamic is there. But I think Connor does sort of feel that he's had that masculinity that Logan clearly values so much taken away from him by you know having all the promise put into Ken.
2: Yeah, and I think there's definitely a degree to which his role that has appeared as like a parental figure for the younger Roy siblings also places him in that position there's like this fishing trip that's brought up a couple times where Connor took uh canon Rome on a fishing trip um at some point yeah. And the first time it's brought up is when um roman is called in to kind of like make logan look good on atn and he brings up this trip and like logan like very much like dismisses it because it's like well i'm i'm a dad i'd never take you on a trip i'd never give a shit about my kids and like by functioning as that parent connor is then kind of taken placed outside of like the traditional masculinity like you're saying
1: which also makes it more interesting that willa refers to him as her partner
2: as her (laughs) <laughs> Connor and Willa are queering heterosexuality. I am going to be brave enough to say this. I will get on this little soapbox. They're doing a lot for the community. Yeah. IMO.
1: Let's put it out there. Sound off in the comments. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Please don't cancel me on Twitter for saying this. <laughs> uh,
1: so brave, so brave.
2: Thank you. I love to be brave.
1: And then Jerry comes along, shares information with the kids, which is a role that she occupies a couple times in this episode, like earlier on in the, in the Monopoly scene. Mm -hmm. She's the one who sort of tells them, she's sort of the liaison for, it seems like, whatever part of it, maybe it's whatever part of it Logan's okay with them knowing, but I think maybe she is a little bit in that state of like, I mean, she talks at the end about how how does it serve my interest. So maybe Mm -hmm. it's to the extent that it serves her interest to let them know that she's um, putting them in the loop about how Mattson is talking with financing guys implying a different deal. Uh, They split up together Intel. She says that Greg has some information, which is a great great little moment. I love
2: the entire like sequence of them figure like piecing it together because all of the information they find out is like these weird little echoes and like the greg thing is a really good example of that because like the way they find out they the way they get confirmation that something big is going down greg is like oh uh the the assistant chat that i'm in which is an adorable concept
1: the lackey slack
2: lackey slack that's so, so funny um lackey slack is like talking about how like they need pillows for the hotel rooms of these executives and so it's like these like little ripples that are like they're mm. being used to piece together and like there's like a couple other things where it's like oh Carl's ringtone like his dial tone is a European tone and like they're literally like not getting anything directly it's all these like little ramifications um, that is really interesting and like kind of shows a how out of the loop they are but be like the kind of reach that these things have on them like the effect they have on the world i think
1: yeah they see carrie whisper something to jerry and like she won't tell them what it is but that like the fact that that happened you know confirms things for them i mean the greg and the contessa scene that roman interrupts there roman being a part of that dynamic is interesting too because you think about how ken is kind of a part of the greg and comfrey dynamic Mm -hmm. they're sort of a a parallel thing there that's interesting.
2: It's Greg is never um, able to interact with an unattached person.
1: But Greg and the Contessa are talking about, she's talking about her support for environmental causes, and he's like, Not Greenpeace, <laughs> right? <that>
2: Greenpeace, <laughs> Lest we forget that Greg is suing Greenpeace. We can never forget this. Greenpeace.
1: Oh man, the the scene the in the like Republican dinner scene where Tom comes back and they're like they're like lifting Greg up in the air because he's a green bean.
2: It's the funniest scene because they're not like even creatively doing it; they're just shouting "fuck green bees. and it's like, do you guys not have a better chant? Like...
1: <laughs> Oh, man, especially just like what it means for Tom to sort of like, after having this sit down with Ken and, you, you know, the way that that, what a great scene, but just to come back and sort of feel lost and like nothing makes sense and then enter this world where where Greg is, be, is being celebrated.
2: I know, Greg is like the symbol that Tom has gone through the like looking glass is just like, I don't know. I also, there's something to be said about like the corruption of ta or of greg which i assume oh, yeah. we will talk about with the tom and greg oh, scene will. but i don't know i think like it's like the Greenpeace thing is a joke but it is also like season one greg never would to see Greenpeace.
1: it's true it's true he likes hamilton he
2: loves- i like <laughs> hamilton <laughs> that's that might be my favorite <laughs> greg line in the entire season
1: so great it says so much with so little you know <laughs> so roman shows up And uh, he calls Greg an irrelevant pauper, and then Greg retorts with, with some duress that Roman's a sexual pervert, (laughs) which speaks a little bit to this thing about, about the corruption of Greg, but also just the, 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 the level of confidence that he's sort of gained, and how he's sort of beginning to play the games that everyone else is but in Mm -hmm. the same way just like I love how long it takes him to spit out that he's a pervert (laughs) like you can tell that's what he's going to say but it takes him so long to get there
2: (laughs) it's so funny too because it's like a direct echo of the line that he says at the end of season two where he says to Roman you're wildly known as like a horrible person and like watching him get more specific from like horrible person to like sexual pervert is I don't know like that jumped out to me a lot was like it's almost the exact same line and it's delivered almost the exact same way but to change the name that he's giving Roman is interesting
1: and uh maybe speaks to the way that the focus of of the show on Roman has shifted yeah since since that point last season where Roman sort of entered the show as kind of like the generally shitty dude and it's it's become you know increasingly apparent like what his specific issues are as the show goes on
2: yeah it's like okay roman is a shitty dude and then it's like oh man this dude's got issues and then it's like oh he's got those issues
1: (laughs) (laughs) so roman finally tells shiv that uh gojo buying waystar is on the table uh (laughs) and uh the 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 madson floated the idea and so uh shiv runs to talk to ken who is you know blasting a sig mm-hmm. you know off to the side he wants no part of it but uh she sort of convinces him to like reluctantly join in we get this moment i love where where they're like walking through that walkway and, yeah. and Roman both have their hands on their hips.
2: it's the staging of that is so funny and like i don't know i just love the way that, like the light works in that scene too because like shiv is the only one who's like illuminated at the start and then it falls down onto all the kids eventually it's a good scene
1: shiv and rome are freaking out and ken sort of distances himself increasingly he's like you guys do this without me and then he you know gets down on the ground uh you know his head in his hands and he's like i'm not here right now he says i'm not feeling very connected to my children or my endeavors i can't get one thing right with another and um after several cries for help like sort of in every scene that he has with them this season is kind of a cry for help but this is the the first moment perhaps in light of the rest of the family uh they, like, like both of them sort of being in their own crisis this is sort of the moment where he can finally like bring them down to his level and have this this open talk
2: yeah there's I don't know if you watch the like after the episode stuff um but I watched part of it after this episode and Jesse Armstrong says something he says about this scene that it's like finally saying the unsayable thing and again I do think it's like kind of going back to my point about like Logan and like America versus Europe like I think the fact that this is like very explicit confession which like we've had moments of it like there's like a moment in season two where like Ken's like it's not going to be me and him and Shiv share that hug but like the fact that he's only able to lay this out across the sea I think is really interesting and like you know, there's also something to be said about, like, they're behind, like, they're at the service entrance, you know, like, we we talked earlier about, like, the waiters coming and going in the background of this entire scene and stuff, and, like, they're, like, very, I I love when the Roy's are put in inconvenient positions, um, and, like, he's sitting in the dirt, and he's, like, covered his entire pants in this dirt and, like, mentally and physically brought down. Like, he's, like, on the ground and stuff. And I think, like, the, I don't know, just the entire staging of the scene is just brilliant and, like, works so well in the moment.
1: Yeah, there's something to be said, I think, more generally about how when these kids have power dangled in front of them, the blinders go on and they can't think mm-hmm. about anything else. And then it's only in these moments where... Where they're down at the same time that they can actually communicate with each other yeah. it goes all the way back to the beginning where ken is interim ceo and roman and shiv sort of strike this alliance with each other mm-hmm. Where i i just think that it's only when they're both down that they like the thing with yeah. the, the the slave story that we were talking about earlier that's the moment where they can see each other
2: yeah there's there's also like this great line where like as kembal kind of starts breaking down like before it becomes clear why he's getting really upset roman says like oh it's just business." like they're all freaking out about like this like possibility of losing the company and Roman's immediately like oh but it kind of doesn't matter like you don't have to get this upset it doesn't matter which I think is really interesting with like how they see the business but also like Roman immediately being like I'm not mad like I don't have to be mad at you about this like you're still my brother and like that immediately goes above like our positions in like this financial aspect um and like they are I don't know like it shows like a deep love that like rests underneath this current kind of do you know what I'm saying? Like, it's like- the
1: Yeah, I definitely know what you're saying in that regard. But I, the, the way that this scene unfolds, again, makes me think about all the other times that they've talked to each other throughout this season and how you can look back and see on a certain level that what Ken's wanted to do is confess- the whole time and Mm he just like hasn't recognized that in himself or you know has been in a place obviously he starts the season up so maybe like he doesn't recognize it in himself or in the others that that's what he wants to talk about and he does start in this breakdown by saying that he tried to pull them out of the family drama with him that he was like making an earnest attempt he saw like the way out and he was trying to guide them towards it you know ken starting this breakdown really talking about his his attempt at uh at sort of taking down Logan and how he you know did want to bring them along with him and that was what he was trying to do I feel like that is you know does become less important when he you know confesses and it becomes clear that that's been weighing him down this whole time but I definitely think that's another important piece of how he got to this point and how this relationship with with Roman and Shiv has has played out throughout the season just that like He has on some level been trying to help them and maybe they do recognize that, but uh, it hasn't um, been working
2: in this moment it's just so drastic that I think it cuts through everything that has been floating around it's just it's a very it's a really good moment you know if you if you've been on Twitter in the last like two days everyone has been sharing that one shot of like Kendall on the ground with Roman on his shoulders and like the perfect fucking that. shot it's, it's so good so good it apparently one of the Sarah Lawrence art history professors like dedicated some portion of time in class to talking about it and like they should that is just an immaculate shot I think it is so beautifully constructed and like shows such a wonderful intimacy and like you know we talked about the quote about like all the slaves wearing the same color and like there is like that chalky white dirt is on all of their clothes at like to mm-hmm. some degree and it's like really interesting to see them like coated in this like earthly humanity and like the religious iconography with that scene is just mwah. they're so smart <laughs>
1: Yeah. And then the way, like once the bomb is dropped, the way that we, we see how they both react to it. And Roman's first thing is like, it kind of sounds like you didn't kill him, which, which I, you know, I think he is being earnest about that. And then when it's you know, met the way that it is, he sort of uh, goes back to cracking jokes. But I I think that um, we sort of see what sets Ken apart from the others and sort of the family dogma in that, like he, even in trying to say, and actually, I think that Logan successfully convinced him that he was responsible.
2: Yes. Yeah it was like thinking about like how the scene is presented to us as the viewer and thinking about how Logan presents the scene and then thinking about how Kendall presents the scene and like watching Roman and Shiv read it. I have said long, for a long time Kendall committed vehicular manslaughter but now it's suddenly less clear and I think like you know, kind of what we were talking about with how, like, so much of, like, the memory is told through, like, verbal recollection. I I don't know 100%, like, what my read on the scene is right now, but I do think it's, like, suddenly become a lot murkier, like, his level of responsibility.
1: I mean, I think he's being he's being honest in that moment, and it definitely seems like he tried to save him, and it didn't work, which, you yeah. know, there's still a level of responsibility there, but I think if we look back at what happened, he comes back sort of traumatized and comes to find that Logan... Knows about it, and that's sort of the thing that shuts him down at the end of the season. So I think that I, I think that what really happened at the immediate moment is he felt guilty, and then Logan convinced him that it was his fault and that it's something that he has to hide forever.
0: Yeah,
1: but I think it's interesting that I I mean R- Roman being like you know I've killed a kid and like you do believe <laughs> it, and then and then he also asks Shiv if she killed a kid, and she's like oh yeah, and then gets back to the phone. Call. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Where I'm like 99 sure it's a joke. There is still a one percent where I'm like, did Roman and Shiv also maybe kill a kid? I think they did. I think they might have. I think they might have.
1: Yeah, I I <laughs> I, I think that Shiv has an understanding of why Ken is so beaten up about it, and Roman is is more numb to it and uh, is sort of trying to talk him down from it. But then of course, he learns more of the story, and he's like, you know, you didn't really kill him, but. Oh, yeah. um, And then I think we sort of see another side of the Roman from the end of the birthday party episode who seems to be like so relentlessly cruel to Ken but then the way that we see we we see him also cracking jokes at Ken's expense in this scene but it plays out in a way where we see how that is sort of an expression of love from him.
2: He's doing it like as a way like I've done this with my brother, where it's like, "Hey, you're feeling really bad, and we do need to talk about this, but also it's not going to help you if you feel worse. So you kind of need to like do some level of like moderation." And like Roman's doing that through humor, Shiv is doing that through like, "Hey, buddy, it's okay." Um, yeah. It's like it's, it's it's interesting to see like Roman's jokes in this context as opposed to like the business context that they usually are in.
1: So uh, Laird. Oh, Laird goes rogue and lets Shiv know that Gojo is, in fact, buying Waystar.
2: I have missed Laird. I wish he was on screen. I still think his line about, I don't want to be a party pooper, but I have poop is one of the greatest lines ever said on TV.
1: <laughs> it's really good. I, I I like the implication about about him being really bitter about being, like, sort of kept out of the deal, and so he decides to look it to the kids. Um, yeah. an- another example of, you know, Serving one's own interest and stuff, but uh, we see after this scene that Ken is newly energized, mm-hmm. and you know becomes more so as they start talking about bringing Logan down. But he's, you know, either way, he's kind of getting what he wanted in that he's reconnecting with his family and potentially, uh, deposing Logan. But at the same time, if the deal goes through, then he is out of the family, which is also what he kind of wants
2: yeah you know because in the previous episode he'd said like i want you to buy out my stocks like i don't want to be involved in this business anymore Mm -hmm. so he kind of wins either way but i think you know when he's talking about this confession he has this i wrote down this line uh like as he's crying um he says like i'm all apart which Mm -hmm. is like really interesting like that's a really interesting way to phrase this feeling of like being kind of like broken up and stuff and like you know, he goes from, like, feeling, like, apart and, like, shattered to then being a part of something again. Like, suddenly he is a part of, like, this sibling relationship. Therefore, like, he then suddenly, like, has, like, a level of, like, confidence and, like, wholeness that he has not had this entire season. Like, Kendall's been so manic and so fractured this entire season and, like, as, like, you know, it kind of comes to a head with this episode and the previous episode and, like, having this kind of common enemy with his siblings being what brings him back to himself as a whole is really um, notable I think
1: yeah and we even see like in the end you know obviously Ken becomes the one who's putting his hands on Roman's shoulders but I think we see how his he's more interested in like bringing that confidence out in his siblings you know he like 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 he's more interested in like bringing them to the table and sort of helping them succeed and so he is sort of torn up in the sense that that doesn't work out mm-hmm. but like i said he does sort of have less investment in the business side of it that yeah. sort of allows him to rally them
2: yeah yeah definitely
1: they go to the car and at the last minute shiv changes the plan and has you know has him go to where logan is holed up to uh tell him they won't have it and Roman mm. can both reluctantly join. You
2: know, we kind of talked about this when we were talking about the premiere with like how so much of these business transactions are happening on like planes and stuff. I think it's a really interesting echo to the premiere of this season where they're like having this entire battle plan happening in the car and happening in transition.
1: Yeah, and after a last second change of location. Yeah, which well. is
2: exactly what happened in the uh, premiere.
1: In the car, as we were saying, Roman's very hesitant. Uh, he's clinging to the possibility that he's still got a shot with Logan he, and uh, mm-hmm. Shiv and Ken kind of wear him down. I think there's something to be said about the fact that he's not around anyone putting that Logan influence in his head. Yeah. And so the fact that he, he's sort of having it, the fact that Ken and Shiv are working together and he's having it coming from both of them that like he's fucked if Madsen uh, yeah. takes over and there's no space for him in that. I think that's sort of what eventually brings him around.
2: And Shiv's specific argument is, I wrote it down because it jumped out to me, and she says, "Dad is never going to choose you because he thinks there's something wrong with you." Again, tying it back to like what we were talking about about like Roman's like whole sexual situation that like keeps coming up and coming up, and it's like Dad thinks there's something bodily, innately wrong with you.
1: Yeah, and something that like that can't be fixed, even if he like you know straightens himself out as uh, as. As Logan put it. But I think uh there's also the element to which Shiv hasn't really gotten to lay into Logan because she's been on this side of like if I stick with Logan, I might have something for most of this time. And being in the car, again, being in the car with Ken laying into Logan and with trying to get Roman on onto the side, like finally, you know, ripping off the band-aid, as she says, I think she and we've seen these scenes, like I think in the first episode in this season where she, he, she and Roman are talking and she's like, I think he might be fucked. And he's like, well, you can't say that. And yeah. then, you know, <laughs> you know like, like this has been sort of the first space for her to kind of admit these things about Logan being unfit and, uh, you know, how it's better for them to push him out. Yeah. So they agree to equal division of power and that's another one of the things that sort of brings them all around is this idea of like fighting it out together and roman says that they'd make a good team <laughs> and cute. Uh, it's like
2: a cute sibling moment
1: it's really good they get on the phones mm-hmm. roman calls connor to loop him in <laughs> ken <laughs>
2: You you can't hear Connor's dialogue, but you can hear noises coming out of the phone. And just, like, this image of Connor yelling at Roman through the phone is so fucking funny.
1: <laughs> yeah, and Roman being like, well, this is me looping you <laughs> I'm telling you now.
2: It's so good. He's like, I'm trying my best.
1: Yeah, and Ken is calling his lawyers to double check the, the holding company plan. And Shiv is uh, talking to Tom. <laughs> mm-hmm. Tom says, you know, pretty abruptly, and where do I fit in, Shiv? Yes as he, as he always says in, in moments where Shiv has a plan and yeah. Shiv gives her usual, we'll talk about it later well, <laughs> kind of response.
2: Shiv, I, cause I like, as you said, like he always says this, this is like a line that has echoed for three seasons. Where do I fit in? And Shiv, I don't remember if we talked about this on the podcast last time, but like Shiv is the worst liar on the planet. And it always comes out when she's talking to Tom, she's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, no, you'll be important. You'll be important. Don't even worry about it. And it's like, it just doesn't fit in this moment. And like, it is so jarring.
1: Yeah. And there are, you can think about in season one where, you know, even the first time that she says that, Tom's like having doubts, but you know, I think it's become more clear throughout this season that Shiv does not have his interests in mind at all.
2: And especially like the regularity with which he is having to ask this is increasing because he had, he asked this exact question in the episode before, when she was talking about like throwing over her dad and like them having a baby and stuff like that. And it's like, it went from like once a season to like three times in three episodes.
1: And then in addition to doing the we'll talk about it later thing, she also says, but we might pull out the medical card and then we're going to need ATN to be on that. So, (laughs) So she's asking something of Tom as well.
2: There's also, as she's asking him that Tom asks this, like he says, so we can cite you as sources. Yeah. Which I think is setting up a really interesting dynamic for next season where like suddenly like the Roys are no longer untouchable and like Tom has that power. Like Tom can guide the newsroom to cite the Roys.
1: That's really interesting <laughs> and I think especially with this shifted Tom and Shiv dynamic that I, that I don't think is blowing up yet. I think this is just going to be Shiv sort of shifting to that position of kind of like knowing something's up and not being able to do something about it.
2: Yeah. Speaking of, should we talk about what happens immediately after this phone call?
1: Well, the the phone call ends with Tom saying, Jesus, okay, good luck, bye. And then Shiv says, "Mm mm-hmm, and hangs up.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So funny. Worst couple imaginable.
1: (laughs) Uh, And just at that exact moment, as he's hanging up, Greg appears oh, to tell Greg appears to tell Tom that he's made a decision for the first time in this entire show,
2: <laughs> <laughs> and his decision is to not make a decision and still hang out with both women.
1: Yeah, she, he's he's picked the Contessa, but Comfrey is helping the Contessa with her image. <laughs> so funny! Great stuff coming up from those three, but uh, <laughs> he seems confident. He seems wild. In a way that he hasn't before. He's off the leash. He's got a
2: virility to him. Like,
1: yeah, I'll have what he's having.
2: (laughs) It's insane that there's no cut between these scenes. Like, literally like it doesn't even cut away to shiv and then cut back to tom like it just the phone call ends on tom and then immediately greg comes into the realm
1: tom is still putting his phone in his pocket as greg shows
2: up greg shows up and they are we do need to talk about the fact that they are wearing matching outfits like they're right matching linen suits succession production design um please dm me i have a lot of things to discuss with
1: you so tom sits greg down and he tells him that things may be in motion.
0: Mm-hmm. Greg
1: asks if anyone's going to prison. And Tom says, no. But <laughs> uh, I don't, I don't have the I don't have the exact next thing, but pretty much the next thing he says is, Do you want to come with me, Sporus?
2: Yes. He says, I that's exactly what he says. He says, Do you want to come with me, Sporus? Calling back to when Greg compared him or when Tom compared himself and Greg to Nero at Sporus. Uh, and mm-hmm. said, "I would castrate you and marry you in a heartbeat."
1: Yeah, he's he says uh, he talks about how Nero pushed his wife down the stairs and then mm-hmm. took uh, castrated Sporus and took took him as his wife.
2: And now Tom is pushing Shiv down the metaphorical stairs and metaphorically castrating and marrying Greg.
1: Yeah, it's interesting talking about as will increasingly become apparent the like at what point Tom decided to betray Shiv. The fact like the fact that he was already. Having these fantasies about running away with Greg, like so much earlier on in the season, you, you know, like like I I think it's left ambiguous again on purpose, but um, you could read this whole season as Tom sort of undermining Shiv at a lot of points. Yeah, L- like um, at the beginning of the season when Logan sends the donuts, and that is preceded by Shiv telling Tom that she's at the the uh, Ken's place. Yeah. So. It, it's it's possible to read it that way.
2: I think you can definitely read it that way. I think especially with like Tom takes a phone call with the lawyer at some point and we don't see that phone call and we don't know why he's taking that phone call and like that's immediately after Shiv is like maybe it would be good if you go to prison and you know we kind of see these like little moments of like Tom reconsidering his decisions but we don't see what decisions he is making.
1: Yeah and we see him like turning down Ken in a really overt way and like saying pretty explicitly that he's taking the logan side yeah but we don't see how that plays out uh until the end of this episode yeah so uh, tom says do you want to come with me Sporus?" greg says can i ask for a little more information tom says, <laughs> says no no
2: <"Nope."
1: laughs> uh, but he asked greg to be his attack dog his, mm-hmm. his greg weiler and uh greg tries to play big at first he's like i've got this this little theme park in 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 my pocket and things are kind of looking up and and tom's like you made an ass out of yourself in front of congress you've got nothing
2: (laughs) i think tom kind of like knocking him down is really interesting because it's like he's doing it in a way where like tom is like always kind of trying to knock greg down and he very he never has the upper hand especially with like Greg's girl bossery in the last two seasons like he's been placed above Tom and Tom is like no okay come on like stop kidding yourself we are on the same pole I'm gonna bring you up with me
1: yeah and and Tom always kind of I mean from the beginning Greg kind of had Tom in that he had the papers and that was like the the first big move that Greg made but Tom also kind of always had Greg in that he was just like in a position of literal power above him i think of the scene where they're arguing where you know he's putting him down in terms of comfrey and and he's like well how do you and shiv make sense and he says because i i i have a, a dick like a sequoia and i, <laughs> I like a bullet train and, like and, then, bullet train. and greg then greg says prove, says, prove it
2: <laughs> and then it is a hard cut <laughs> So normal this season has been so normal and like so nothing great. weird has happened at all so
1: normal man by the way uh nicholas braun ad-libbed the prove it line
2: That's interesting. Nicholas. <laughs> <laughs> would you like to explain some things
1: so the next thing that tom says is who has ever looked out for you looked after you in this fucking family
2: do you know what this line reminds me of so much Hmm. is the line from gone girl i the whole gone girl i'm the cunt you married monologue is seared into my brain and specifically the line where she says i've killed for you who else can say that you think you can settle for a midwestern girl no way baby i'm it
1: yeah i mean like (laughs) i mean like in a way i mean tom's tom's been a bully to greg obviously but you know, relative to everyone else, Tom's kind of the best he's got.
2: Tom is the best he's got. Tom is killed for him.
1: And, uh, you know, obviously took a bullet for him in terms of the uh, prison thing, which turned out to be nothing. But yeah. (laughs) Tom offers to take Greg to the bottom of the top and give him 20 (laughs) Gregs of his own.
2: (laughs) Bottom of the top has been like, ringing back and forth in my subconscious for the last like 48 hours like insane line
1: really great and then uh tom says do you want to deal with the devil Mm -hmm. great greg's answer well what am i gonna do with a soul anyway
2: the face that greg is making when he says this is the most comedic like he's fucking batting his eyelashes chucking his hair behind his ears like what am I gonna do with the soul anyways oh my god yeah Um, (laughs) (laughs) like (laughs) hello what's wrong with you again
1: he is he is just it's so off the leash in this
2: scene (laughs) (laughs) Nicholas Braun Emmy Award. like just insane I also I know I already talked about Hannibal NBC earlier in this episode but this is like the most like Hannibal and Will shit imaginable like I expected Tom to pull out his drawings where he's drawn Greg into like the death of Patroclus like just straight up
1: yeah and I mean like you think about the journey that Greg's been on especially this season where he was you know Ewan was no longer an option and he was sort of caught between Ken and and Tom and Ewan and Logan and himself and comfrey and just like we talk about how this scene starts with greg making like his first decision ever yeah he 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 ends this scene by selling his soul and 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 joining the uh joining this rat race joining this uh this roy company drama I, I mean, it feels like a pivotal moment for the Greg character, maybe, yeah. like, like you know, in the next season, obviously, he's going to be gunning for the bottom of the top, and, you know, obviously, Logan's circle has gotten smaller, so he's going to be a part of it in a way, you know, it, it's him making a decision uh, to be Tom's attack dog, I mean, in a literal sense, but also to... Be looking after his own interest he's always been looking after his own interest Mm -hmm. but he's decided where that interest comes from and it's from taking advantage of that relationship with Tom
2: yeah I think we've kind of like talked about it but talking very directly about like the romantic aspect of like Tom and Greg that like has been there since like you know episode one I mean like would you kiss me if I asked you to and stuff and like pretty consistent there's like a pattern that you can find in a lot of like queer literature and like queer cinema and especially like with like male homosexuality where it's like presented as like this corrupting force Mm -hmm. um not to compare Tom and Greg to Nightmare on Elm Street 2 but like I think like the language of like do you want to make a deal with the devil and like Greg like literally selling his soul for this like partnership is like very notable and I think like points at like a larger like moral corruption of greg but also like how that ties into his role not only with his partnership with tom which is like very ambiguously located right now but also like his partnership and like as you're saying like his position in the roy company um as opposed to like just the roy family and like i think the fact that this is happening at a wedding that greg is being referred to as sporus in this conversation and like the fact that they are wearing like matching outfits where Tom is wearing all white and Greg is wearing black and white um, at a wedding. Like, I think this entire scene is just coded. It's it's, it's queer coded, like very heavily and like very explicitly. And I think like Tom and Greg like sharing like a forehead kiss and like they've had these moments and like, it's, I'm really interested to see where this goes, but I do think there's a, there's a really interesting doubling happening here with like the business interests, but also like the sexual and like romantic undercurrent that's been there since the start.
1: Yeah, I have thoughts on where it might go in the next season that yeah. we'll get to when we're when, like at the end of this episode. We come pretty quickly to Shiv, Ken, and Roman storming the castle.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, they show up. We get the water pistols and Bali thing that I was talking about. They go into the wrong room at first, and then they, you know, the bodyguard comes out and uh, he spots him from across the way and he's like, this way. And then um, Shiv is in front. For that storming moment, Shiv is once again sort of taking on that position of power there. But they uh, they are stopped at the door by the bodyguard, and then Logan shouts, "Send them in!" And uh, in a similar way to how the conversation between Logan and Ken in the previous episode went, Logan starts out removing the, the removing his own power completely, like taking the armor off, and being like, "Come in. Things have moved very fast. I'll I'll fill you in on yeah. everything."
2: And he's very visually relaxed, too. Like, he's wearing Peepaw's vacation outfit, you know? Like, he's got, like, a big untucked shirt and, like, capri pants and sandals and stuff. Like, he is at ease and he is not thrown off guard by the children showing up. Like, he knows they are coming.
1: Yeah, he does start by saying, like, what's this? But, like, he's he's clearly not in a, in a position of, he's not caught with his pants down, you know? Yeah. They ask for information. Logan says that he'll fill Roman and Shiv in, but doesn't trust Ken. He specifically asked Roman to take Ken out. Uh, I, there was something that I forgot to say earlier, and we'll get to it after we 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 get through this, this uh, next note here. But with some duress, Roman refuses that request and is like, I think it'd, it'd be better if you told all of us.
2: I have a note that says Roman is a scared little boy.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, it's mm-hmm.
2: all three of uh the siblings or and the actors playing them are doing a very fantastic job i have you seen the m night Shyamalan movie old yes you know how those adult actors who are playing the children in old are tasked with trying to figure out how a 10 year old would act if they were suddenly in a 50 year old's body yeah That is how I felt watching so much of this scene because like, you know, Kieran Culkin is like shaking and shivering the entire scene like he's like emotionally distraught and like Sarah Snook has this like, as she's playing ship like this punched tight little face like she's like, Mm -hmm. it's, it's like this insane like pout, that she's got the entire time and like it feels you are seeing like children with their father in a very specific way throughout this entire scene in like yeah I was so I just kept thinking about that where I was like this is as if a child has just aged up overnight
1: yeah and I I think how much Kieran conveys in the in the van scene as well just Mm -hmm. like with with his facial expressions and that just sort of like it's sort of similar to what Mattson says to Logan earlier about how you want to tell me to fuck off but you know everything I'm saying is true Yes. like like, like we see that in 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 roman's face and how he's sort of wrestling with his entire past in, in in that moment in the van it's it's really uh powerful and the thing that i'd forgotten to say earlier about the scene with connor is that connor seems particularly upset at shiv in that scene yeah and i don't know what that means but i think it's very interesting
2: i think that's a good thing
1: to point out logan explains that he feels this is the moment to sell if this quote is, if I don't do the best deal at any given point, then what's the point of anything? Uh, he talks about how he's leaving five bill off the table if he doesn't take this deal. Ken says, what are you going to do with five bill? Throw it on your pile with all the other fucking bill. Logan says, mm-hmm, probably. And Ken says, and what are we supposed to do? And Logan says, make your own fucking pile, mm-hmm. which is, is something that I've sort of thought about in the context of a lot of this, like a lot of this gamesmanship throughout the show. And especially where Ken was at and what Ken would do as he was coming into this is like, ken was in a position after coming forward at the end of the last season where he could create a big source of power for himself and he didn't do that (laughs) because he didn't really want power he wanted that power
2: oh yeah look every single like fan speculation in the two years between season two and season three was like oh my god kendall's gonna leave he's gonna start his own company greg is gonna be his assistant they're gonna be totally at odds and it's like He technically still works for Waystar, like currently right now, technically still works for Waystar, which is just insane. He he didn't leave.
1: Yeah. And he can't leave because at the end of the day, it's like they can pretend it's about whatever they want, but it's about how they want to inherit power from their father who abused them.
2: No, and I think like the whole like, what are you even going to do with Five Bill is like, none of this matters. Like there's absolutely none of this fucking matters. The business is all personal. Logan does not give a shit about the money, and the kids do not give a shit about the money.
1: Yeah. And and what Logan cares about as becomes increasingly apparent in this scene is winning against his kids.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like like we we think early on that he just wants to cling to power as as much as possible and he wants to die having all the power or or not die but um especially the way that this season and this scene play out it becomes apparent that like it's part of the game of the abuse for him he wants to to snatch it away from his kids
2: yeah well because especially like you know watching him pull out like we've seen i think as viewers we become a little familiar with like the different methods he has for like placing leverage on all of the kids you know and like we've seen them like we've seen how like he promises ship things and slowly takes it away and like we've seen like how he gives and takes affection with roman and like you know how he puts information over kendall and like it's brian cox is just a masterclass actor because it's literally Hmm. like maybe like three minutes tops like you watch him just rapid fire switch between these methods of yeah. like influence like so fast and it's like he turns to Roman he turns like immediately like whoever he's looking at he's an entirely different person and he's just like operating on this kind of completely different plane that the kids are never going to be able to keep up with and like it becomes so clear that like oh no this is like not only is this like a game that he's playing but like this is a game that like he invented the rule book for
1: and has been yeah. playing since they were born like Monopoly like Monopoly <laughs> like,
2: like Monopoly
1: Like how part of the rules of Monopoly for the Roy family is cheating, Cheat. stealing money. Like I mean, stealing the, money from I mean, under each other. Yeah. Yeah. Well that's the whole thing. With
2: the oh God, You're so smart. Um like, it's the whole thing where, like, they are playing by the rules. They're like, no, like, we called up our lawyers. Like, this totally works under the deals of the holding company. And he's like, well, fuck you guys. I changed the rules. Like, I changed yeah. the holding company agreement.
1: Exactly. And we see him, Um. yeah, like you said, we we see him. Uh, one of the things we see him do is insist, again, that Matson rates the, the the kids That that he's gonna have their backs which they know not to be true And great great moment where logan is like face to face with roman says you can trust me and then shives in the background like you can't trust him
2: and then he turns he also turns to kendall at the end of that scene and kendall just have you seen the big short yeah okay i was thinking about the big short so much with how kendall holds himself in the scene because like roman turns to kendall and kendall just shakes his head silently and like jeremy strong's character like he literally most of his job in the company is he holds a baseball bat and he stands mm-hmm. threateningly behind like whatever whoever plays his boss. I don't remember off the top of his head. And like I, the entire time I was like, Jeremy Strong just should be holding a baseball bat in this scene. Like his entire job is to be very stern and silently support Roman and Shiv right now.
1: Yeah, he could hold a water pistol.
2: He could hold a water pistol. That would. Be, that I think it would make this uh, whole scene a lot funnier if he had like a big super soaker and was just kind of menacingly holding it <laughs> in his like weird little rat hands. <laughs>
1: Uh Logan's impression of Shiv. Oh <laughs> well, no, because you need the super supermajority.
2: To... <laughs> so out of pocket. Like That's he did so... not have to do her like that.
1: So fucking and another great example of how Logan doesn't have to put on a face. Like, like, like Logan could be completely petty and and you know uh off the wall and throw all the all the etiquette out the yeah. window and he just makes up the rules as he goes along, like what you're saying.
2: And it throws Shiv off so bad. Like, she's immediately <laughs> almost crying.
1: Yeah. And it, it leads us directly into the big reveal that Logan and Caroline have been reviewing the divorce agreement.
2: I am obsessed with Caroline because, like, she sucks shit. Like, Caroline sucks so bad. But every time she's been in any of these conflicts, like, at Tom and Shiv's wedding, when Kendall tried to tell her that he killed a dude in the scene, she's always like, I can't get into it. I just, you know, it's like this endless like British deferral of talking about anything. Yeah. It's incredible.
1: It's really good. It's, I mean, the a great kind of red herring where they were so worried about Peter getting into the divorce agreement for the last couple episodes. (laughs) And it's
2: Caroline who fucks them.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And you know, the kids are like, oh no, mom, he got to you. But it's like, this is who Caroline is. Caroline is also looking out for herself and she does say that she feels i mean this has been consistent with her feelings all along she says that she feels it'll be good for the kids to kind of be pushed out of power and not be part of the company anymore clearly that, that that is how she feels but um
2: that line is so it's it's the way that you talk about like your kid that's kind of too indoors and you're like i just think like i don't know like maybe you should do like this program with like, like the park yeah. services yeah, like, send I them the it
0: camp really and it's like, you, like
2: yeah <laughs> but it's like your 40 year old children that have only ever worked as like the cfo of their t- company
1: completely incapable of doing anything <laughs>
2: Like roman work at like a starbucks next season
1: well he i mean he did go through the uh amusement park training yeah
2: (laughs) Yeah, maybe we'll get a parallel to when greg was working at the parks and threw up through the eyes of the dog costume i'd like to see that
1: yeah so great uh so yeah caroline is on the side of the buyout and peter's very excited
2: (laughs) peter's very excited
1: She's sort of optimistic by necessity that the kids will be fine in the buyout. That like, "Eh, it'll be okay. Don't worry about it. And then of course, does nothing. She
0: doesn't give a shit.
1: And then Roman turns to to Pop and says, please, such a great- such a great breakdown that 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 Roman has in this moment. Like this is the only thing that they want in the world, and this is like like it's finally becoming clear that like they don't have any. They know they don't have any like cards, but it's just like you know, it's the only thing they want.
2: God, and then that exchange that he has with Logan, where like Logan's like, "What have you got in your fucking hand?" And Roman says, "What have I got? I don't know, fucking love." and mm-hmm. logan says you come to me with love it's like i know people like compare this show to shakespeare all the time but like there is something very like theatrically tragic in this exchange where it's like love is all roman has at this point and it means nothing
1: exactly it means nothing to him which yeah. is which is a big part of like because because this is immediately followed by logan saying that he's is one ag- again sort of calling attention to the fact that he's kind of losing everything but it doesn't matter to him and it's in the same way that like Roman knows that love means nothing in this exchange because that's what how it's been set up by Logan. You know it's it, it's Logan making the rules once again, but uh, he's won by reducing it to love. I think mm-hmm. Shiv says, "Who the fuck told him? Who told him <laughs> that we were coming?" And then before wait, so Roman turns to Jerry after that, and uh, mm-hmm. he's on his knees begging Jerry, and, and Jerry's like, "How does it serve my interest?" Oh,
2: so cold. So that scene is heartbreaking. It is also incredibly funny because Frank is sitting right there and is pretending to read and pretending <laughs> that Roman is not on his knees sobbing <laughs> and crying two feet away from him, which is just incredible. Classic.
1: Classic, Frank. It's so great. I, again, just because like Jerry has always been concerned with herself, like this entire mm-hmm. season. We but but we sort of feel as Roman is like finally realizing it, you know.
2: Yeah, it's the thing where it's like that line, like how does this serve my interest is such a good callback to like when she's kind of mentoring Roman at the start of the season and says you always have to be like thinking about like your interests and like it's like a very direct echo and it's like there's when Tom and Shiv are having their argument about like Shiv saying like I don't love you in the bedroom Tom says like I think I should start paying attention to the things you say directly in my face yeah and it's really like Roman is shocked like he never saw this coming and it's like dude she said this to your face like it's like this has been there from the start and it's like I don't know watching the Jerry betrayal right as like we watch the Tom betrayal like the way that that Tom and Shiver mirrored against Roman and Jerry in this scene is really really fascinating
1: yeah so Logan tells him to tells the kids to fuck off he storms out of the room and then his face sort of contorts into a smile he puts a hand on the shoulder of Tom Um Wamsgate Bob Scans, baby! I audibly gasped when I saw that tan suit. I was like, oh my god. Because, again, it's another thing. It's something that's so fundamental to this show that the thing you're not supposed to be paying attention to is the thing that matters. Yeah. And Tom's been going through it this whole season in such an obvious way. But we've been angling towards... Ken and this Ken like downfall and the, the sibling dynamic that when the obvious thing happens and Tom, who has been becoming inner circle with Logan this whole season flips the script on Shiv, it's like, Holy shit. (laughs) The same way that Ken has been like in the entirety of season two, Greg has had these documents Mm. and this cruise thing has been so prevalent. And Ken's been like, so seemingly hopeless the same way that Tom is for most of this season like if you look at the way things are set up obviously Ken is going to come forward with it at the end of the season but it it feels like the craziest thing that could have possibly happened because you've been angled away from it the whole time
2: no I mean like watching this episode for because I watched this twice I watched this once in the moment and then the second time to like take notes so we could have like a real conversation and like watching it the second time, it's like the scene with him and Greg, like, I was like, oh yeah, of course he's going to betray Logan. But like, that is like, I wasn't even thinking about what decision he was going to make when he's like telling Greg, like big things are happening. And I think like not revealing like what big things are happening and like not giving Greg that more information is pays off so well. Yeah. With the Tom reveal at the end, because it's just like, it hits you on the head and you're like, oh, fuck, that's what was happening.
1: Yeah. It's not as much like the bombshell ending as like yeah. as when Kendall put, does the press conference at the end of the at the end of the last season, and we like see Greg with the papers as it's as it's like fading out. But yeah. like, th- there's something so great about how, <laughs> again, that's su- such a well framed reveal of Tom at the end, and then we get a minute of Tom walking in and being like, "Hey, what's wrong?"
2: <laughs> the most Im- possibly high-pitched voice. Hey, Shiv! <laughs> so, this is why Tom Womskins is the best character on television, because he just pulled the most, like, Judas bullshit imaginable, and walks into the room like, hey, Shiv, are you okay? Oh my god, did something happen? And it's like, girl, you happened! You happened!
1: And, and again, like, one of the last shots is sort of mirroring that earlier scene, but Ken's hands, hands are on Roman's shoulders, like yeah. Roman is, is the broken one now. But then, yeah, it just, it ends with Tom, you know, embracing Shiv, putting the, the, the hands on Shiv's shoulders, and we sort of see Shiv's, like, face change a little bit, but, like, cuts a black.
2: I, I watched this episode with headphones, so I don't know if this was, like, as apparent, but, like, Shiv as she's kind of realizing what happens because like she does realize immediately like oh my god Tom did this and like neither of them are admitting it but like she kind of walks away from like where Roman and Kendall are and she's got this like in Sarah Snook again such a good actress because she's got this like insane like heavy breathing like she's like (gasps) like she's like gasping and like you feel like she's been wearing these really weird dresses that are very constraining and stuff and you feel almost as if she's like got a it tied too tightly with like the way she's like gasping in breath now and she's like holding herself and like Tom kind of comes in behind her and like puts his hands on her shoulders and like literally the second he does that she just stops like she's quiet and her entire face tightens and contorts and like the facade immediately goes back up and it's just like and then the episode ends and it is such a good like non-verbal glimpse into her psyche it's just, mwah,
1: just who would have thought? I mean, again, we talked in the first episode about how Tom's on the plane and, and, and Tom's like inner circle all of a sudden puts him, throws himself on the sword for Logan in this season. Everything is so clearly building up to and when's Tom finally going to snap? And then it it happens. And it's just, it it it's again, the same thing where like, when's Ken going to snap? And then he does. Mm-hmm. When is... Uh, I don't know, when when's Connor going to snap? And then he does it this episode too. Like Like, it's just about setting you up to think that things are never going to change. And then when they do, it's like, oh my God. <laughs>
2: I am so excited. I love Tom. Tom is my favorite character on TV, period. Like, I don't know what's going to happen and I don't want to like make a prediction given <laughs> how wrong our predictions that we did put on a podcast were last time uh, but I'm like listen I need that messy divorce so bad I need Tom and Shiv to reenact every scene from Gone Girl together they are mutually Gone Girl for Gone Girl relationship like it's just oh it's so good I'm so happy for him
1: well let's speculate <laughs> 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 the season is still being written so we are really flying blind here we don't even know that something is happening but clearly next season this th- there was one of the promotional posters for this mm-hmm. season that you know they all had, like people on yeah, different yeah, sides yeah. and there was one that was all the roy siblings on one side and just logan tom and greg on the other side that seems to be the line that we're at as we go into the next season
2: did you see those tweets? That there's like a couple of them, but like where people tweeted that poster like the day before the premiere aired and we're like, who the fuck would believe this lineup? And then we're quote tweeting themselves like, oh fuck.
0: <laughs> oh
2: <laughs> I also uh I love it. I love that they've got three letters out of LGBT, LGT, Logan Greg Tom.
1: Clearly, I think that next season, obviously it's gonna begin that way. I do think that. My take is that it's probably not going to be divorce right out the gate I kind of just the way that Tom and Shiv operate I think that they're going to continue to be kind of walls up with each other and just sort of like pretending that nothing's wrong when they're talking to each other.
2: I think, you know, we talked about, like, exercises and wheel spinning. I genuinely thought, she we going to get divorced halfway through this season. And, like, I think, like, you're probably right that divorce is not going to happen. Um, I, don't, I don't know if it, it won't happen the premiere. It might happen at some point in the season, just because, like, I'm wary of saying, like, I can't see where else it can go because I can see where it can go. But it's, like, I think, I think that's, like, an interesting crescendo to reach.
1: Yeah, they, they, you do have to keep in mind the idea that next season might be the final season.
2: That's the thing.
1: It's it's either the the last one or the second to last one, but I just feel a little bit like divorce is a leap that I just based on what we've seen so far, I don't think those two are capable of making.
2: I could totally see them going down a Logan and Marsha path where they're all but divorced, but not legally divorced.
1: Yeah. And and I mean you think about I mean we're talking about how the show is about abuse and how so much of Shiv and Tom's relationship so far has been Shiv sort of like getting whatever she wants out of Tom and him not getting anything in return I feel like what we're most obviously going to see there is a shift in that we even see it sort of in the end of this episode where obviously Shiv resents Tom and knows that Tom did it but Tom is still coming in with that like with that like care caretaker role mm-hmm. and that's still you know feigning love kind of in the way that that, that Shiv does at times where like he's snapped but It's just it's just a role reversal in a way that the show does a lot.
2: Yeah, I think that's a really good way of putting it. And I think like I do genuinely think this is something that's been brewing since the first episode. Like I remember you and me talking and being like, What is Tom doing? Mm -hmm. Because he kind of sabotages Shiv's chance at CEO right off the bat, where he's like, I know if I suggest it, it'll immediately color her. And so like I think there's these elements and stuff. And I think like we talk about Greg playing every side but i think tom is also really good at that we're great like he's like i know that i can place myself between these parties and i can mm-hmm. make a lot of connections and keep the doors open while also not necessarily betraying anyone like shiv always talks about wanting to, like when shiv was offered the role of ceo she's like i'm gonna play both sides and then immediately fuck herself so that she had no sides and i think that tom actually knows how to play both sides in a way where he like is able to leverage himself into a position
1: yeah and i think that you know we talked early on in the season about how tom and greg seem to be at at opposite ends where they might not be able to talk to each other but it's it's become clear throughout the season that this is a show where no matter how bad the drama is even when there's a clear line in the sand they're going to talk to each other yeah and i think tom's inside track with shiv is something that I think is going to continue to be important, even as they hate each other.
2: <laughs> what I'm really interested in with Tom and Shiv and with Tom and Greg is like Tom and Shiv have these really interesting I'm putting like conversations in quotes right now mm-hmm. where they are talking at each other. And it's as if you've taken dialogue from two different te- like scenes and like spliced it together because like, it does not match. Like the scene where they're talking about having a baby in the penultimate episode of this season is a really good example of that where like Shiv is like going on this rant and Tom is asking questions and like she's not like just ignoring them it's like as if she is like incapable of hearing it like it's as if it's a different language and I think that like Tom and Greg genuinely have an ability to like communicate that is like really interesting and I think like the ways in which they're communicating is really interesting um because like you know there's this phone call that they have in like early in the season where like it's like very private and cut off and like they're both kind of hiding from like the people they're in a room with but then like as Greg gets demoted to a shitty mailroom office that mailroom becomes like a really like interesting like metaphoric space that's like very closed off um and like that's where they have like the original Nero and Sporus conversation that's where like Tom like expresses his excitement about not going to prison that like he's not able to express with Shiv and you know, they have this conversation at the wedding, and I think, like, the ways that communication is happening, um, and I think there's, like, things to be said about, like, how Logan and Tom are communicating as well, like, like, you know, the hand on the shoulder and things like that, I think, like, that's something that's really worth paying attention to as the show goes on.
1: Yeah, and I especially think that, uh, Tom has gotten power from Greg, where he is sort of the disempowered one in his dynamic with Shiv, but, A shift in that dynamic could lead to a shift in the Tom and Greg dynamic.
2: Yes definitely.
1: But I also think as I kind of alluded to before that this is a moment where the siblings are on one side and Logan and and Tom and Greg are on the other. I do think that the first move for the siblings is probably to try to stop the sale in whatever way they can, which they don't have many cards in that sense. But I think that is going to be what they're trying to do out the gate. Mm-hmm. And then maybe past that, they're also kind of trying to endure themselves to Madsen maybe. and And thinking about like, if it doesn't go through what's left for them. But I think that Connor... Like like this season, Connor was in a role where like he they needed him more and it became increasingly apparent throughout the season. But I think especially looking at it where Connor has sort of indic has sort of for the first time indicated that he might want that Waystar power,
0: mm-hmm.
1: like like his vote really does mean something increasingly so as as we go into the next season.
2: Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I think they've also I think his waste our vote means a lot I do think his political vote actually might mean a lot because yeah they no longer have like the guaranteed what they call him the raisin or whatever like the guaranteed presidential support and like there's that whole episode where they have to like find a new person to fill their shoes and there's like a real moment where that person is about to be Connor and yeah. it's kind of thwarted at the last minute but it's like You know, if Logan is no longer in charge of Waystar, it's a little unclear what that means for them giving support to this other candidate. It's also, like, unclear if, like, the siblings then might leverage Connor against Logan's candidate.
1: Yeah, and there's so many things that could happen where, like, if that candidate falls out, you know, that could be another thing that disempowers the Roys and Royco. Mm -hmm. Also, if the Raisin dies... The vice president kind of becomes the de facto candidate, even though they pushed away from him. Yeah, and if Connor continues to rise, if Connor, you know, ends up being uh, in a position to win that nomination, I think looking at the next season and where it goes, obviously Connor and Will's wedding is going to be an important set piece. I also think that the election has again been looming for so long it does have to come into play eventually and i do think that there will be a point where at least the republican nomination has to come into play very soon obviously these seasons all take place kind of one right after the other but like at at a certain point this season and we're a little later in it now they were in may and beyond super tuesday and trying to figure out who's who's going to be the uh, republican nominee those things are becoming important very quickly and could be tangled up in whatever way star stuff is happening.
2: Yeah, especially I think I think this show's really good at showing how long business takes to happen. I mean the fact that like the shareholders meeting, which they've talked about since season one, only happened halfway through season three. And I think like you can see like this sale is probably going to take a minute or two. And like I think having politics happening in the downtime of that is going to be really interesting and I can definitely see that happening
1: here's the other thing that I want to wildly speculate about yes yes. that is that is probably not going to happen but I just need to put it out there we've seen a pattern in each of these seasons where season one starts with Ken up already interim CEO And, you know, he is sort of done in by his vice, his addiction, and it, you know, obviously culminates in the in the death of the waiter, but he is laid low by the end of it. Season two begins with Shiv. Up getting a verbal confirmation from Logan that she is going to be CEO. And then, you know, being done in sort of by her pride and her her lack of business acumen, which is definitely the thing that Logan has a problem with. That and, you know, a big part of it is that he feels that he can leverage her as a woman. And people talk about whether or not Shiv ever really had a chance. My take is that I do think Logan is fundamentally a misogynist, but I think that he feels that he gave Shiv a chance and she blew it. Season three starts with Roman, like sort of almost like it, like it was never a question, like it, like yeah. it of course it's Roman. But um, obviously, his downfall is his own, his his own sort of vice, his own thing that pulls him away from Logan, which is his sexuality. Mm-hmm. And we again, we've seen Logan's homophobia so emphasized throughout this season, increasingly so. If season four begins with Tom up. I feel like it's not impossible that he could literally be caught in the act with Greg, but I think at least metaphorically he will be caught in the act with Greg.
2: Here's the thing that is so important to Tom Wombskance. Tom is a fail son, so he is Kendall. Tom is gay, so he is Roman. Tom is also like a woman to me, so he is Shift. I think like this idea of like him being caught with Greg is genuinely very possible. Like I, the entire season, like, every, like, every single episode, I was, like, as the girlies do, chatting about Succession, every single episode, we're, like, hey, this homophobia is new. Like, this is new and yeah. different in a way that it was not before and, like, I think to have this culminate, as you're saying, with, like, this being Robin's downfall, it is so funny that Tom is filling this role because Tom is, like, gay in a funny way but he's also, like, genuinely queer-coded like, throughout the entire series and, like, his him and Shiv, like, functioning in this, like, very, like, henry james-esque portrayal of like failed heterosexuality like just like there was like uh before succession really popped off like there's like a tumblr post that would go around all the time that was like tom and ship are both independently living out the plot line of like a 1930s lesbian novel and a gay men's novel with like the overbearing wife and like the weak-willed husband and stuff and like i think like putting tom in this position of power is so precarious right off the bat with just his entire shtick and like I think that that is I really hope your speculation is right is where I'm going with this
1: yeah and and I think he you can so see how he reads as like a bastion of masculinity to Logan you 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 can see how like like Logan sees all that in him and how that could come crumbling down over the course of the season culminating in Again, one way or another being caught in the act with Greg.
2: Tom is literally going to wear a turtleneck on his first day and Logan's immediately going to fire him.
1: (laughs) But my, like, the way that I see it playing out in maybe a more honest way is that Greg kind of betrays Tom in the end. Mm. And, like, you know, people have been speculating from day one that this could end with Greg taking the whole pot. But I feel like we've seen Greg make this transformation, becoming more confident, becoming more self-motivated, and more kind of evil in a way, and I feel like the ending of that plotline could could be something that is a form of Tom being caught in the act of having this this relationship with Greg. Mm-hmm. Greg is sort of the, the one who comes forward and sort of poisons uh, Logan's ear, and that is how he sort of reaches a state of power.
2: I can definitely see that, especially like Gregory loves him some blackmail. Mm-hmm, um, it's mm-hmm. his favorite Loves to blackmail hobby. Tom. He loves to <laughs> blackmail Tom specifically. Um, not to get into, also blackmailing is another way that Tom is very heavily queer coded, just to insert that in there. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. Um, Greg loves blackmail so much. He does it all the time. It is his favorite hobby. And like, I can totally see him like very specifically like leveraging that power because it's also like, I think it's like very naive to assume that Greg is not aware of like the effect that he has on Tom you know I joked earlier about him like tucking his hair behind his ears and like batting his eyelashes and stuff but like it is like there it's like definitely like a conscious decision I mean like I think like part of it is like an energy that's there but I do think there's also a degree to which like Greg knows that like he can get away with stuff with Tom that like he would not get he doesn't like when he becomes Kendall's assistant immediately motherfucker gets fired like he's not doing his job with Kendall because like, he doesn't have to do his job with Tom. And like, he's aware that like he has power over Tom and is able to make these decisions. And like, I can totally see a scenario where uh, he sells Tom out.
1: Yeah. I do want to point out in terms of this story of Nero and Sporus that uh, Sporus gave Nero a ring uh, depicting the rape of Proserpina, and that in, in which the ruler of the underworld forces a young girl to become his bride. I'm reading from Wikipedia here. It was at the time considered one of the bad omens of Nero's fall. So I think Greg sort of laying out what Tom and Greg's relationship is to Tom being one of the omens of Nero's fall is something that could definitely happen.
2: I think that's really true. I think also probably worth mentioning that uh Nero's most famous for fiddling while Rome burned
1: hmm Rome huh
2: Rome huh what's uh, the one the kid is named Romulus uh like Rome is Waystar is Rome to a certain degree and like we are watching like the dissolution of an empire and like I think like there's a lot to be said about like having like I think there's a lot that you can connect back to like classic uh studies with succession um which i am not hugely familiar with but there are echoes of it and i think having tom multiple times uh placed as nero and knowing that like nero is most famous for being like a failed emperor like a ridiculous and silly emperor specifically i think is really uh important yeah
1: yeah and nero did kill himself
2: he did tom wants <laughs> to <laughs> suicide with the iron the steel chair like <laughs>
1: He, tur- he turned to Sporus and spoke his lamentations before killing himself.
2: I genuinely, I think Tom Womstead's suicide is still very on uh, the table for Succession. I think my man is going to put his head in an oven, so- Sylvia Platt style.
1: The, like, like the Nero thing is, is, is coming back. That's, that's not going anywhere. Oh no. Sam, thank you so much for another incredible discussion of Succession. As thank we- you for having me. to the end of the third season as we enter six months of the platform so much great stuff and i certainly took some new ideas out of it i think i think we've uh you know come upon some interesting stuff that will probably all turn out to not be true
2: (laughs) (laughs) this was this is genuinely a very illuminated discussion i have a great time talking to you as always um you know if it's not true it's true in our hearts
1: exactly exactly Of course, you're welcome back anytime to those of you listening. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, If you like the show, you can subscribe through Substack. You can, uh, if you can't do that, one of the best things you can do is share it on social media and tell your friends about it. Uh, I will be back next week with another episode and I will see you then.
0: I disagree, disagree, disagree. I disagree. I disagree, I disagree, Gary. Gary. I disagree, I disagree. We Gary. We disagree. Gary?